everybody, we're back after a semi not super long hiatus, but maybe slightly long, not as long as I think the last one we did. I think our last episode came online in November mm -hmm. to celebrate Charles Bronson's birthday. I almost said Chuck Norris. <laughs> And that would have been not right. Um, Charles Bronson's birthday. That was a few months ago. Um, and we kind of laid back. I think we were like, we're totally going to do this all the time. And then life happened. And, and then I think we're back to, we're totally going to do this all the time. But bear with us if we can't get everything online in a timely manner. But we're going to shoot for trying to do this more often. There's still so many TV movies to talk about. There's still some people that I've talked to that I'd like to have come on and talk about TV movies. And there's some ideas floating around. And... Just in general, um, I like being here, and I missed my friends, so let's catch up with them. And again, my name is Amanda Reyes, for those of you who are just listening for the first time. Um, this is the Made for TV Mayhem show, and we're going to have a really fun double tonight, I think. Before we get started, let's say hey to everybody. Hey, Nate, what's going on? Hey, uh, nothing much. Just hanging out. I have the day off from work tomorrow, so I'm oh. very much looking forward to that. How nice. You don't really get days off, do you? Not usually, no. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Nothing. I'm going to watch movies. Nice. That sounds so good. I did that. We had an ice storm. Did you get the ice storm, Nate? It, yeah, it wasn't really that bad here, though. It was bad enough for us to have closed down everything, you know? Mm. And But it wasn't so bad that we lost power and everything totally died for a week like last year. But I just watched a lot of horror movies. And... Um, there's a lot of great stuff on Tubi, which I think we all know. I don't know. Do you watch Tubi a lot, Nate? Yeah, I actually just re recently watched Carousel on there. Oh, wow. Which is about a carousel horse slash unicorn <laughs> who comes to life and starts killing people at this party one by one. Did you like it? I loved it, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that they had the Michael Kruger movies up there. You know, he did Mind Killer and Night Vision. And um, mm -hmm. a really funny thing happened. Uh, I tweeted about it because I, I hadn't seen Night Vision before, and I was really blown away with how good it is. Um, I've always wanted to see it. I know Dan is a big fan of Michael Kruger's stuff. Yes, style. yes. And, uh, but uh, I'd only really seen Mind Killer, which is a favorite film of mine, like an amazing discovery I made in the 90s. So, and so I tweeted about it, and somehow I got hundreds and hundreds of likes, like hundreds. And not only that, but the star of Night Vision left a comment. Oh, wow. On my feed, and his kid left a comment on my feed, and somebody who worked in post production on Lone Wolf, which wow. is a Michael Kruger written film. Oh yeah, left a comment on my feed. Mm -hmm. It was weird, but I was just posting it was on Tubi, and all these people were like, "Oh, I've never heard of this guy," mm -hmm. and um, and I just think it's really sad that such an amazing filmmaker has kind of flown under the radar, and I'm super mm -hmm. happy for uh, streaming sites like Tubi. Mm -hmm that have access, give you access to all of these great films. And so um, so I spent the weekend kind of trolling it, and I ended up re-watching Anthropophagus, I think is how oh, you sure. say it. Grim Reaper, and yeah, I've just, yeah. Yeah, I never said if you don't eat your own guts in a movie, I don't want to ever <laughs> see, see it. It's just not, not like interested. It. Yeah. So anyway, I, I would recommend, Nate, that you just go on Tubi, which you might do tomorrow, and just pick stuff, because there's some great stuff on there. I definitely will. <laughs> I'm so jealous of you, Dan. Not that I just didn't have four of them because of the storm, but still. And Dan, what have you yes. been up to? Oh, uh, what I've I, I the other day I watched a bunch of movies. I uh, I watched uh, what I watch. I watched Death Wish three, which is mm. always fun. Yes. I watched uh, Joe D'Amato's Endgame, 
which is which is pretty great, which is a post apocalyptic one with um Laura Gemser and George Eastman and Al Cliver. Oh. Yeah, that just came up recently with me, but I haven't seen it yet. That, that's fun. I watched um, uh, um, Raiders of Atlantis, or the Diodato film, which is super goofy fun. And then, um, uh, I forgot, I watched other stuff. But those were the main ones. I had kind of like a block of them I watched on Sunday afternoon. Kind of action-y, post-apocalyptic, dystopian, good time, fun. It was good. It was, yeah. It was good stuff, yeah. And, of course, I watched a bunch of TV movies, of course. Of course. of course, of, of course. course. But apart from, apart from that, you're just uh, working, hanging out, um, uh, uh, slowly putting together the idea for my next book. Oh. Which um, which uh, I uh, I had an idea for it, and I don't know if I'll mention it on here just because it's so um, so um, not quite fully formed. But I had an idea like two weeks ago, off of something someone said on Twitter regarding something I'd posted, and I mentioned it to my wife, and I said, "Does this sound like a stupid idea?" Or a good idea, and she heard it and said, "That sounds like a good idea." And so I'm gonna. So wow. I mean, so oh, I can't wait. So it should be should be fun. It's gonna be um, it's gonna. Be, I've been wanting to get back to writing fiction or at least stories because that's where I, that's where I began, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I turned to reviews and things when I couldn't get any of the damn stories or anything published. Um, but uh, but it's gonna be a mix. I think it's gonna be like um. Uh, I, I won't go too far, but it's sort of a mix of reviews of something specific with stories in it. I'm still working on the setup, but that's a tease, a little tease. This is random and has nothing to do with you really, but it reminded <laughs> me of like years ago, I took a writing class taught by Dennis Etchison, you know, who wrote some of the novelizations oh, yeah, for Halloween yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah great guy. And um, he just passed away, I don't know, a year or so ago. And. I got really inspired to try to write some horror fiction. He liked the one story that I submitted, which is slightly like Night Vision in that it's about a VHS tape that does funny oh, things. Oh, nice. Um, but I hadn't seen Night Vision yet. But uh, I started to write this story, and apparently it was told through letters to the editor of a newspaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. About, yeah. A, about, a, about a Silent Night, Deadly Night type horror movie mm-hmm. that had come out, and somebody was really upset about the violence. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there was a serial killer in the news as well and I found it and I wrote half of it uh-huh. and I don't know what I was doing with oh. the story like I don't know where it's supposed to where go where it's going okay yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, Understood, I found yeah. it and I started reading it and I was like this is not bad for a first draft of just <laughs> that's writing a, something I, I like I always I always like that that's the kind of fiction I tend to write is, is stuff that's a little that tells a story in a slightly like uh, different way and um, I don't know if you've ever read. Did you ever read my collected movie reviews of Cyril P. Drathmore? I don't think so. Oh, maybe. It was it I was a thing have, yeah. back in 2011, 2011 on Bleeding Skull. We we did a we did a thing where Cyril P. Drathmore. Um, uh, it, it was a it was a separate blog, and there were 52 entries. One went up each week across the year, and it told the story in 52 newspaper articles. Oh, that's awesome. About this guy named Cyril P. Drathmore. And he was the movie reviewer for the small town newspaper. And he only reviews slasher films. And so it's it's a mix of reviews of slasher films along with an actual story that's being told about this man. And, uh, oh, wow. And that's sort of, that's not quite what this new one is going to be, but that's sort of in the same realm. I, I forget what you can, you, folks, you can find online if you Google the collected movie reviews of Cyril P. Drathmore, D-R-A-T-H-M-O. OR I believe you'll find that it's a blog start at the first week go to the end you'll enjoy it especially if you like slashers 
Wow, that sounds great. Yeah, so we, yours were completed. Mine is just a story that's hanging in the air, and I don't know where it's supposed to go. And I don't even know where I put it now, but if I find it again, I might try to figure it out. Yeah, I thought, wow, this is not bad. And then I was like, what was I supposed to do? But um, I wrote two stories for Dennis Edgison. He didn't love the second one. This first oh. one he was really uh, a big cheerleader of, and that was really sweet of him. Um, and that has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Yeah. So so let's veer on to – so we're covering two ABC Movie of the Weeks directed by – now, I, I have been pronouncing this man's name, Junot Zawark, and I was mm. pretty sure that I had the first name right and the last name maybe right, but I, it does turns out I don't have either one right. Apparently, it's Zano Schwark, and I'm Holy really shark. nervous. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm really nervous about saying his name <laughs> while we talk because I do not want to mispronounce it, sure. um, and I've been mispronouncing it for as long as I've been alive because he directed Jaws 2 and I was like four or five when that came out or something. And so I loved him for all my life. But like, um, so we decided to cover two of his films. Now he did a lot of TV movies. He's mostly an episodic director um, in his early days. And then he had the spate of TV movies that he did in the seventies. And then he kind of branched down to theatricals. He got asked to do Jaws 2, which was already in production. Um, but I think John Hancock was the director and it was going in a weird, not a weird direction, but a direction the producers weren't ha- happy with. And, um, I think there were gangsters involved and stuff like that. And, <laughs> Flying sharks. And yeah, and they were like, we, we want a different kind of angle on this. Who can we get? And I think Zeno Schwark had said <laughs> that, um, he knew somebody, oh, it was Joe Elves, right? Because he worked on oh, yes. gallery yeah. with them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he said, I know a guy that can do it and do it quick because he made all these TV movies. And so why don't you bring him in and interview him? And the producers loved him. And I guess he used about 10% of what John Hancock had already shot, which was very little of the film, which is my understanding. Scrapped most everything. They had to fire a lot of the teenage actors um, and then bring in a new crew, which is where we got Donna Wilkes from Angel. The one person who is the same as the guy that started Christine, whose name is escaping me, he stayed in both the original production and then the, the second one that got filmed completely. Um, and so uh, after that, he, when, he, when he made the deal, he said, all I want is for you to do me a favor later. And so the producers were like, or the next studio or whatever, was like, whatever, just let him, we got to get this film made. <laughs> so he said, okay, I want to make a movie called Somewhere in Time. Oh, and so Jaws two was huge. It was huge. Mm-hmm. It made like a hundred million dollars. It did almost as well as the original Jaws because it was Jaws two and it had Roy Scheider. It's a great film. In some ways, I even love it more than the original. Even though I, I, mm-hmm. I would, I wouldn't take any argument that said that Jaws is a better film. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's probably the best film ever made as far as I'm concerned. But Jaws two is a slasher. Yeah. You know, in the water. So anyway, he made Somewhere in Time, which is this beautiful time travel love story with Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve. And he loved working with Christopher Reeve. Um, he he enjoyed working with Jane Seymour. He said that a lot of people have told him that that's her best performance. And I think she's mm. had a career of really great performances. And um, But people seem to really perf- love her in this film in particular. And he did Supergirl and he did a couple other things, but he wasn't really... I, I quite to... like Supergirl. I watched that he, the other day. Yeah, I have it. I've never seen it. Um, I actually got it because I bought a movie from Anchor Bay. It was a Dario Argento movie. And it, the disc was faulty. Uh-huh. And I remember that one of their... They had all these Argento movies come out right when DVD was a thing at the beginning mm-hmm. and and so you were supposed to send them the disc back but keep the case which I did and they sent me back a new disc and a copy of Supergirl because you know they they 
mm-hmm. released it and they hardly sold any copies. Yes. Of it. I was going to say, I have whatever the Blu ray is that came out a year ago. And I, I hadn't seen it since I pro- saw bits of it on HBO back in the day, but it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's not it's not great. It feels a little. Um, feels a little like there's some there are a couple different versions on there so it feels like they didn't get it, get it quite right maybe there were a few too many gangsters for the producers and they wanted to uh, yeah, get rid maybe. of the director I, um but it's 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 struggled. fun yeah, yeah with his yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was going to say they do something that I love, where um, they 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 always forget that um that the two big things that Superman and Supergirl are um vulnerable to is kryptonite, which they did to Superman all the time in the movies, and magic, which is what they do in Supergirl. Yeah. So it's actually pretty. It's, it's, it's I think it, I think it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's it's really good. But then the year after that, he did Santa Claus the movie, hey. which I've seen because it has Jeffrey Kramer from Jaws and Jaws Two in it, mm-hmm. and I'm obsessed with Jeffrey Kramer. Um, I actually went on Twitter one day and said I had a crush on him, and he liked my tweet. Yeah, <laughs> I could have died. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I have a diehard crush on him. Um, anyway, I think he had a really hard time getting that kind of match that success he got with Jaws Two, and so he kind of went back to television. He ended up doing a lot of. Uh, episodic television again with some TV movies thrown back in in the 90s. He did a couple of the Rockford File reunion movies, mm-hmm. which are quite good. And then he would go on to do like Ally McBeal, Jag, The Practice. I think he did Heroes, Cold Case, Smallville, Fringe, Supernatural, Scandal, Castle Bones. I mean, you name it, he directed it. Grey's Anatomy. His last credit was 2019, but he's still with us. Um, and he is somebody that we should probably pay attention to because he's probably one of the last of the TV movie directors from the golden age that has is still with us because he started his career very young. And I think he started really on night gallery and he was maybe 30 at the time. Well, he actually, he started before that he was directing Ironside and things like that. But I feel like night gallery is kind of what got him sort of his foot really in the door. Um, And so uh, he was, he was born in Paris, France. um, And he was apparently a huge film buff even as a teen and he said he's as a child he saw about 300 films a year and he started a film society as a teenager so he was he's always been a big fan of uh film he did some really interesting tv movies at the time he did the two movies we'll be talking about tonight which is you'll never see me again in night of terror uh he did a movie called the weekend nun he did lisa bright and dark and he did a summer without boys those all-star kaylin's who are going to make the initiation of Sarah and be in, do a lot of amazing things. Um, but so his movie, The Weekend Nun, which actually starts to want to pet it as a nun who's also a probation officer, is it based on a true story? It was a pilot, if you can believe that, um, that didn't take off. And uh, Kay Lenz plays it like a troubled teenager. Clint Eastwood saw it, and he liked it so much, he hired Kay Lenz to start on Breezy. So... Juno Zwart got everybody started, you know, he's, and he also did The Devil's Daughter, which is a classic ABC Movie of the Week horror mm-hmm. film. Have either one of you seen that one? I have not. No, I've seen two The Devil, A Daughter. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's a different movie. Different movie. Yeah, no, uh, The Devil's Daughter stars Belinda Montgomery, Shelley Winters, also in The Initiation of Sarah, and um, Abe Bogota, and Jonathan Fritt. Nice. It's really good. It's also got that woman we love so much from Duel, who runs the like snake farm. Lucille Benson. Oh yes, yes. The yes, old lady. Yes. Yeah, she's great in it. Um, and so he did the spate of like TV movies, and then he did theatricals, and he came back to TV, and um, and I think he's primarily known for his work there. And Night of Terror, I found out, won an Emmy for for best cinematography. 
So um, because of that, it actually has a little bit of documentation. The other film, I had a really hard time finding anything on about it. So there's not going to be a lot of trivia and like background on these films. I think what we're going to do is we're just going to dive in. I think we'll do them chronologically. So we'll start with Night of Terror. I believe that one aired first. And yes, yes. And then we'll just talk about them. We do actually have one piece of feedback, which is really nice, because um, I'm surprised anybody has stuck with us through the <laughs> <laughs> very uh, sporadic recording sessions we've been doing. But anyway, Dan, why don't you get us started with Night of Terror? All right, Night of Terror, we get um, Linda Daniel, who's Donna Mills, uh, who uh, shares an apartment with uh, Celeste DeVillo, uh, played by Kathy Burns, and they live on like the fourth floor of an apartment building. And one day they are teaching a, they do a weekly painting class for local kids. And all of a sudden, outside their door on this small, like, you know, walkway um, at the top of the, uh, the, the, on the fourth floor there, a bunch of hoodlums show up and start beating up on a guy. And um, uh, Chuck Connor shows up and starts to push the guy around. They're, they're, they're looking for something that the guy has, and he says he doesn't have it. And um, it gets a little unpleasant when they begin to, to strip him. And uh, Donna Mills hears that, well, her character Linda hears the noises outside, pokes her head out, and there are all these gangster-type guys there. You didn't see nothing, lady. Get back in there. So she goes back in there and, oh, what the heck is going on? And the next day they find the, the guy who was being attacked dead. Um, the, the police show up and talk to uh, Linda and Celeste. Pete Manning was a running for the syndicate, Miss Daniels. Manning? He's the one that was killed. That's right. Delivery boy. Ran numbers, pedal junk. Anything for a quick buck. Can you tell me why he was outside your apartment? I have absolutely no idea, really. I told the officer that last night. How about the man who pulled the door shut? I looked right past him. To the big man, whose face is now a complete blank. Lieutenant, it all just happened too fast. Can you tell me about your classes? Lindy and I give art classes to the neighborhood children once a week after work. Why are you asking about our classes? Manning was searched and stripped before he was killed. Obviously, those three men were looking for something. Are you sure he didn't leave anything with you? A package? An envelope? Anything? No, nothing. Never. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. We just can't help you. I want you to understand one thing, girls, and don't take it too lightly. Manning was dangerous, and the men that killed him are very dangerous. This town is full of dangerous people. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you. Those men were looking for something. They didn't find it. They think you've got it. They'll be back. Lieutenant! That man never got into our apartment. He never left anything there. Honest. Mr. Villo, Manning was scared, and he was running, and he ran to your apartment. I want to know why. We don't know. Thank you both. Policeman says, you know, just take care of yourself. And uh, but uh, uh, Linda is kind of, eh. Celeste is a little bit more worried about it. Um, that evening, while Linda is um, 
sitting at a bus stop with with Ralph Monroe from Green Acres, Celeste is attacked by two gangsters who break into their apartment wanting to know where, I forget exactly what they're after, but they're after something and they believe she has it or it's in the apartment. And Linda comes back and uh, Celeste has been beaten pretty badly. So she's staying in the hospital and um, um, Linda sort of isn't getting much done with the, the police. And, um, but, but, she, she's a little more aware than she was. Uh, eventually, her uh, Celeste leaves the hospital, and for some reason, Linda lets Celeste drive um, out of the hospital where she stayed. And as they're leaving, the, they're at the top of the parking garage of the hospital. As they're leaving, suddenly Chuck Connors appears. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead slightly here because there's a nice little twisteroo here that I didn't expect. It's about we're about a third of the movie in, uh, to, at this point, and there's a nice little twisteroo. And I'll just say Celeste is killed, um, and Linda has to go into more or less protective custody with Martin Balsam, which is a dream of many. And <laughs> Why, he, he basically sure. he, he plays Captain Sark, Caleb Sark. And he has, like, this house he uses in the middle, kind of a safe house in the middle of nowhere. He takes her there, and we'll talk about what has happened to her, but they sort of um, develop a relationship, like a father-daughter kind of relationship as they're there, and they kind of become good friends. But meanwhile, the gangsters are still trying to find out what happened to her, and eventually there will be a reckoning. And I will stop there. That's, That's the very basics of Night of Terror. Awesome. Um, so I know you and I have seen this before, Dan, and we'll talk yes. a little bit about that. But um, Nate, had you ever seen this before? No, I actually feel like I had gotten it confused with not terror. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was watching it, yeah, it, it was definitely a first time watch for me. What did you think of it? Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I liked the... I like the cast because I think everybody in the cast was fantastic. Um, and I thought it was interesting how the movie kind of reminded me of Wait Until Dark, mm. you know, the Audrey Hepburn yeah. movie. Like, it kind of reminded me of that in, in a way. Um, I was really glad to see, um, I guess this is a semi spoiler, but semi spoiler, please skip ahead. <laughs> Um, but I was really glad to see Donna Mills' character, like, fight back because most of the movie she kind of comes across more of the, you know, damsel in distress kind of um, uh, thing. But, like, when, you know, faced with danger at the end, she becomes much more proactive, which I thought was, um, you know, like, a, it was nice, you know, to see her, you know, fight back, especially when um, she kind of gets the um, – the bad guy on equal footing with her, so to speak. Ooh, nice um, play with words. Yes, Thank very you. nice. Um, but, I mean, overall, I thought it was a, a good movie. Uh, I probably, if I had any kind of complaint, it may have been I might have added some more of the kind of scary sequences, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Uh, kind of hard to explain from from that perspective, but um, yeah, like I probably would add a little bit more uh, horror, but you guys know I'm a horror fanatic, so that's probably why. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, I mean, I thought it was a good movie. Um, it was. I, I felt bad for Donna Mills though, because you know when the nurse is trying to give her some tough love, I'm like, well, cut her some slack. I mean. <laughs> 
you know. Bronski. I mean, she, she was just in a horrible like crash, and her friend's dead. Although I will say, uh, speaking of Celeste, before the crash, she was handling that vehicle pretty well, swinging those curves. Yeah. I think she missed her calling to be a race car driver. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that was a pretty spectacular car accident. I mean, for the so the movie was shot like in ten days or something ridiculous like that. So the fact that it has the look that it does is is pretty spectacular. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, it only like one hour and fourteen minutes long. I mean, it's it goes by very quickly. You know, it doesn't feel um, like it drags at all. So. Yeah. Well-paced movie. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, so uh, last year I was asked to do a commentary for the movie Night Terror, the Valerie Harper Night Terror, and Nate couldn't make it, so Dan and I did it. And one of the things we did was we made a list of movies that reminded us a little of Night Terror, and one of them happened to be Night of Terror, right? And we thought it would be funny because it had, not funny, but maybe fun to talk about because it had it's a play on the title because they're so closely aligned. And, um, and we were both really charmed by the film. But I don't think we ended up talking about it on the commentary because we ended up just talking about so many other things. Yeah. Yeah, so... That, so I had it in the back of my mind that I thought, oh, this would be a great film to cover because I really like it. Like, I don't know that it's like a a great film in the way you think of great films but it's it's a really good solid movie that i think does a lot with very little and has really amazing actors i think it's got good suspense i think it's a great story i love that if you're going to have a love story in a film it doesn't have to be a romantic love story it could be a love story between a woman and a man who built this father-daughter relationship and somehow it managed to have a really happy ending too and so there's just something about this film that I find so charming that I can't get enough of it it's just it's really well written and well made and it's got like you said these characters um, so it's I already have it in my background, but one of the things that Kevin Thomas of the LA Times said was that he thought that um, Agnes Moorhead and Martin Balsam brought so much warmth to the film. And I think that's what it is. It's a very warm film for me, even though all this horrible stuff is happening. And boy, does horrible stuff happen to Donna Mills's character. But it's still got this warmth to it. And and there's just something about it that I just really like. And I know, Dan, you were pretty charmed by it. What did you think about it this time? Oh, yeah, the same. I um, I, I was actually, uh, two, quick, two quick things about our uh, commentary. I think the reason why we didn't mention Night of Terror, or, or really quite a few of the movies that we'd watch, is because um, when, we, when we started to work on that commentary, I think <laughs> we both thought we were doing the 90-minute version. That's right. And so, like three days before recording, I and I had notes for minutes, everything very specifically laid out. Three minutes, three days before recording, it was like, "Oh, you're doing the 73 minute version." So suddenly, it was like, I, I know I was rushing with my notes to see, okay, what can I take out? And so, so it got a little crazy trying to get get in everything that we were supposed to. But I have been told by more than one person that it's a good commentary. And when I say more than one person, I don't mean just me. I mean people <laughs> who aren't me. So and and the other thing was I I did want to um um I did I did also watch Night of Horror 
the Tony Malinowski film. Oh, the because, same. It's the same movie. Because I will have any excuse to watch Night of Horror <laughs> is is what I will use. But anyway, yeah, I, I watched the film again. I do, uh, I do, I do quite enjoy it. It moves like, like Nate said. It's got a really nice pace. I like the fact that for about the yeah, the, if you had been watching it a ninety minute time slot for the first half hour or so, you think it's going, you think it's going to be like a she cried murder all the way through kind of thing. But then all of a sudden there's the accident. And it kind of twists and turns a bit and becomes something different for a while. And it becomes, you know, this this story about a woman who, um, you know, can't use her legs. And 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 Agnes Moorhead is going to help her, and Martin Balsam's going to help her. And and but but there is the threat in the background of the killers coming after her. So um, and almost it's funny. I almost think um, I I, I wouldn't have wanted this, but I almost think it could have been a longer movie. And save that that sort of and and made more out of the time they spend together, in the, yeah. almost like a witness kind of thing. Mm-hmm, almost, you sure. know. With, um, but but I like I like the length it was at though. But um, yeah, I think that there there's something about it that it, it's going along and it's it's suspenseful. I mean, I, I will say, um, I um, I don't know if it was just me. Maybe I was in a mood. But but. Um, I'm sure the cop and the doctors were just trying to be helpful. But boy, they're kind of jerky towards uh linda through um you know i know you know it's their job and they see a lot of crap but they're just they're they were kind of um they were kind of a bit too jerky i I mean i tend to agree with you on that because (laughs) i was thinking about how is this the same hospital from hospital massacre with barbie benton (laughs) yes what the guys look like (laughs) people are so mean massacre guys they just kind of stand there looking at her now they don't have a really cool x-ray that looks like she has like metal worms in her intestines or something but but it's it's still like they're looking it's it's they could be more pleasant i guess is what i'm saying and the cop could be that way too because a lot of his he's almost um he's almost hostile towards them 
um, when he's talking. I mean, I know what he's trying to do when he's talking to Lyndon Celeste on the steps. He's trying to say, hey, they might come after you. Be careful. But he's kind of doing it in a jerk way. Maybe yeah, I guess I guess it makes the relationship she has with Martin Balsam that much sweeter. Sweeter, yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. And and the moment they the moment they get together and they go, to, I mean, I love when they pull up to this big house. Well, it's like we did. But you're not sure. I'm sure as I need to be. Lindy, this place is called Ocean View. It's private. It's got a gasoline station. Boat rental. Two by four diner. And the general store where I order the supplies. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. How do you like it? It was built by one of the families who owned the railroad. Do you own it now? To what? Do you think I was? No. Family was uh, very close friends of ours. Up you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right? Yeah. Hang on. There you are. Thank you. You said there was a, an elevator. Yes, there's an elevator and uh, ramps for a wheelchair. See, one of their kids was. It's crippled? Mr. Saar, you know you smoke too much? Well, let's go. Bricks off. For for like the second act, it kind of becomes another movie. And um, while I would have preferred maybe a little more um, scary stuff in there, I, I did kind of like the way for for a bit, it truly felt like, hey, maybe they'll never find her. Maybe everything will be fine. Now that's not going to happen, obviously. But 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 for a few brief moments, there was time where I got, I got sort of sort of caught up in their their relationship, and that you know, like he's trying to get her to walk, she's trying to get him to quit smoking, and there's just this kind of lovely relationship between the two of them. There's good-looking guy who comes over delivering groceries whenever everyone needs to go. Ah, who's that? And it's he shows up, and but it's it's um it, it's nice in that it did it did make me forget for a few moments here and there that there were crazy killers including Chuck Connors after her which is kind of I think kind of kind of nice and then when they do come after it's it's pretty it gets it gets rough but um but it 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 ends it ends well yeah, it does. It manages to. So this is what we'll talk about it having happy endings. So one of the things, and by the way, I have to apologize. I only have one rat now, but he still manages <laughs> to make enough noise for two. Um, so if you hear that in the background, I've been trying to mute it out, but I think I keep clicking back on thinking it's safe and then he finds a toy <laughs> or something. So um, I think uh, the, the twist that you were avoiding talking about until this point, and I guess maybe we should say maybe people should see the film if they're interested before they listen, I'm not sure. It's not like a spoiler that ruins, there's no mystery to the film. Like we know who the bad guy is, yeah. but it does take kind of a dark turn yeah. in that, um, you know, uh, Donna Mills's character is uh, trying to leave the hospital with her friend, Celeste, who's really been 
up a tree and back. I mean, like her, it's, she looks like she's really been through it and she's been traumatized and she gets in the car and then they get in this car accident and then she dies and Donna Mills survives, but she's paralyzed. And so like a good portion of the film is about her dealing with her paralysis and including going to a home that is safe for her to be in and that it has an elevator. It's a really neat home, which does not exist. The exteriors are real, but the interiors were made at Paramount. Um, of this really neat uh, multi-story house that was equipped for wheelchair access. And, um, and so a lot of the film involves her kind of... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Donna Mills' character... What, one of the things I like about her, it's never a pity party because she... It does have trouble, and she kind of doesn't want to push forward with a lot of the physical therapy. And I know Bronski, played by Agnes Moorhead, kind of pushes her. But, like, she says things like, you know, something really bad just happened to me. Yeah. And I'm terrified, you know. And, and I don't feel yeah. like I don't feel like she's, like, this, like, weak-in-the-knees girl. I feel like she's realistically dealing with a lot of horrible stuff happening one thing after the other for, like, a long period of time for her. And so... So, like, there's a survival instinct, but it's sort of buried underneath this actually palpable, realistic kind of fear that you would have if this had happened to you. And I think it's prevented her recovery. But there is a large portion of the movie where Martin Balsam takes her back to the house and they deal with this fact that she doesn't necessarily she's not working to get better and he has to kind of tangle with her and he tells her this story about his wife that turns out to not be the sto- a real story, but something to get her sort of motivated um, to get better and it's, it's such a sweet thing right and so like so like you kind of fall into like this this sort of almost drama inside a thriller or melodrama even and then and then it goes right back to being a thriller like in the last 15 minutes mm-hmm. and like it's very good and then there's a couple moments there like there's like the phone man comes over oh, and yeah. Mark Balsam sticks a gun in his stomach yeah. and he's like I'm gonna fix your doorbell yeah because... you, yeah Martin Balsam sneaks up on someone I don't think that has that ever happened before I guess I, I guess know. it maybe but but yeah like the phone guy comes in and all of a sudden Martin Balsam's right there with the gun it's like well done Mr. B he's on it he's on yeah. it and so it's this really neat kind of drama thriller thing that kind of mixes a couple of things together in a very you're one of the things I love that you said Dan was that you said you wished not wished you said you're happy with the length that it's at but but it could also have been longer and so many times I think that argument is I wish it was shorter mm-hmm. and so this is a movie that does is not does not outstay its welcome no does not. So their relationship, yeah, is 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 sweet enough and develops enough, just enough, so that when the bad the bad returns, it's just it's just enough. You're like, yeah, okay, let's do it, let's do this. Yeah, it's a kind of an interesting the way it plays out because so so to go back to the beginning, uh, Donna Mills's character Linda and her friend Celeste, played by Catherine Burns, are they work at like this after their day job once a week. Kids come over to their apartment. And they do things like draw or something. And like, it's sort of like them being school teachers, which by the way, makes the end. If we talk about the very, very last scene of the film makes the end even better because she has a real affinity for children. And then there's that last shot of her with the kids Mm. in the field. Um, That's so amazing. But, um, and so, and then, and then they don't live in a very great neighborhood. So, uh, there's some calamity outside, and John Carlin is the victim, um, who you probably recognize from Dark Shadows and a bunch of Dan Curtis productions and a bunch of other stuff, and he's amazing. And um, and he gets killed, and then but they're looking for what they keep saying like a package, I think. 
I think where's, so, yeah. Yeah, where's the package? Where's the package? And um, it turns out that she does have the clue, mm-hmm. you know, in that it's actually a ticket to a bus station or something where the package is, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And it ends up in this kid's artwork. And am I right that the it's John Carlin's kid, or is it just a kid? I I I actually kind of kind of forgot that um what what it was I because I remember the moment she starts because the kid makes a collage, and he just puts a lot of stuff in it and I I I was unsure exactly whose kid it was. Yeah, there's a couple of loopholes in this one, um <laughs> because I think that's a general question that that's like I don't I'm not quite sure how he got the ticket but I kind of feel like they they say it's his kid but if it's his kid don't you Surely think the he police not yeah they would have said he would have knocked at the door or and said hey is my kid there and someone would have said daddy daddy yeah that's something. right or <laughs> or the police would have been like oh it's the victim's son Mm-hmm. I should probably ask him some questions about his dad. Jeez, I really feel like I knew where he got that ticket from that he put in the collage, and now that you're saying it, I don't remember at all. Why don't he, I? Mm. Yeah, I don't know why that's like a weird like gap in my. Do you remember anything about that, Nate? I mean, I just remember that they find the ticket in the collage, and it has the um, man who got murdered's name on the back. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. that, but I don't remember um, other than that. Yeah, where the heck he got it from, yeah. It's like this weird Bermuda Triangle that we're in. This <laughs> this one plot point. Yeah. None of us know it. I feel oh. like I feel like it was a hazy the first time I watched it too for some reason. <laughs> Maybe it's just such casually it's casually introduced and we just looked over it. I'm not sure. It could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh but so like um and then and then, you know, from there they 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 realize that there's they have this important thing, but then Chuck Connors is on her tail the entire time, and and yet there's like this huge gap of him not being there. But Chuck Connors is really good in this, and I don't remember him talking a whole lot. He just kind of shows up and does. He's Chuck Connors, right? Yeah, yeah. He's just huge, and <laughs> yeah, he just yeah, and he beats up on um uh, John Carlin. Like I said, they kind of takes his shirt off and they kind of take his pants down a bit to try to find out what's going on. I thought, what are you searching for? On him. Love, love, just love. We're in the hallway, hallway of love. So it's kind of funny. So I did, I did the commentary. I feel like I'm t- promoting stuff we did, but <laughs> I did the commentary for Nightmare in Badham County. And one of the things I did was I researched Chuck Connors, who plays, you know, the evil guard in it or whatever. And um, I remember Lynn Moody, who plays one of the women that's trapped in the uh, work farm, told a story about Chuck Connors because they shot it in the South, and where they went, they went so far deep into the South that it, they were actually shooting in a place that was still segregated. Mm. And so Lynn Moody, who's black had to stay like somewhere separate. And maybe I'm wrong about it being segregated, but there was a lot of, there was like a lot of tension with uh, race there. And uh, some white people came up to her and harassed her and Chuck Connors came to her defense. And so she had this really warm feeling towards him and I would imagine even if he wasn't famous, just having him, he's six foot five, yeah, right? So he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, just have, and by the way, this is, this is a night of tall people because both Fenson's in the next movie and he's six, seven. And I think David Hartman's six, five too. He's pretty so, darn tall. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of tall people in this. So, so Chuck Connors just showing up is going to terrify you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is a few years before Taurus Trapper would really go to town. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and, yeah, yeah. And yet he's, like, protecting this woman, you know? And yeah. so, like, so now when I see him in anything, I just have all these soft, warm feelings for him. <laughs> and he's just not scary to me. I just I just oh. think about well, Lynn Moody. I, th- I think when I when I was was growing up, uh, one of the um, in the in the in the mid eighties there was a station where and I mentioned this before there was a station they used to show uh, from four to five thirty and every Monday through Friday they show Hazel Fontenot's best in Green Acres but then right after Green Acres was the Rifleman. It's good Chuck show. Connors. Yeah, and and I I, I wouldn't always watch uh, that always always all the way through because by that time it was dinner time. Um, but I would always see the opening and the first few minutes of each episode. You, you know, you get to love Chuck Connors being the big old rifleman in that. Yeah, he's great. He was a great actor, and he had a really wide... But I guess, because I, I grew up in the 80s and stuff, I'm used to him being on Werewolf and oh, yes. Tourist Trap, oh, right? Yeah. And yeah. He, he played very menacing characters really well, and so it was kind of implanted in my brain. So yeah. he's perfectly cast here, but, but now I just think of him as a big old teddy bear. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh... Agreed. Chuck Connor, squeeze the cheek. But, and I guess I feel that way about Martin Balsam all the time anyway. Yes, so. yes. When he shows up, it's so great because, you know, you saw his his name in the opening credits, but it's like 25 minutes or so before he shows up, and then he just kind of randomly walks in the door. You're like, it's Martin Balsam. You get all excited. Yeah, he's so good. He's such a wonderful actor. Yeah, like, like we talked about, this movie is just full of really warm characters. And I guess we haven't talked too much about Agnes Moorhead who plays the uh, oh, yeah. nurse in the hospital. And she's kind of the tough love kind of nurse, mm-hmm. but she's really sweet too. Like she's concerned yes. about her patient yes. and uh, she, she tries to push her, but she never pushes too hard. And then, mm-hmm. but the funny part is Martin Balsam comes and he's like, okay, so I've been hired by your boss. So she must have this amazing boss. Mm-hmm. And, I'm going to protect you until we can figure out what's going on and catch this Chuck Connors guy that's terrorizing you. And so he's like, I'm taking you somewhere and we're going to leave really early in the morning through the back so that nobody can see where we go. And the problem is I don't know how to take care of you because you're in a wheelchair. So then Bronski, I can't want to call him Bronski for some reason. Bronski says, (laughs) give me 30 minutes to teach you. And I'm like, it really takes more than 30 minutes to teach somebody how to take care of a paraplegic. But okay. (laughs) And so then the whole thing ends up with this interplay between Martin Mm. Balsam's character and Agnes Moorhead as she's around with his foot <laughs> and it's like okay i'm not real sure there's a lot of foot action in this like i'm, I'm... i was about to say, say yeah if you like if you're interested in seeing donna mill's feet this is the film for you <laughs> this is the one yeah there's a lot of ankle action in this so <laughs> like it's just how it is but so but then she's like teaching him how to take care of her and mm. she's literally just like rolling his ankle around yeah and it's like okay that seems like a really easy job like I feel like I could do that I I, I don't need the degree I thought that too and she said it only takes 30 minutes I thought yeah but you like yeah you like have a degree or something don't you he's just Martin Balsam who walked in from the outside he shouldn't be doing that should he but I I guess he does okay with it he does do okay he takes pretty good care of her and um, Mm -hmm. and then we get to the part that Nate brought up which is that she does end up defending herself, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up when we talked about Night Terror, because one of the things we wanted to talk about, and we probably did on the commentary, but we didn't hit as many films, is these TV movies where the women stand up for themselves and stick up for themselves and fight for their life and and are, can be really strong characters. And so Donna Mills' character is like this woman who loves kids. She's like a school teacher. 
She's not like the Donna Mills from Knott's Landing. She's not like this uber glamorous, you know, <laughs> shoulder pads out to here kind of character. And yet she's really strong, but in like a way that like a realistic way, I think, you know. And so so I like that aspect of it a lot. And I'm glad that, that Nate brought it up because I think that's probably one of my favorite parts of the film. Because the second she realizes she's in danger, she starts like busting those lights. And at first I was like, yeah where's the light switch? But then I thought, oh, if she busts the lights, he can't turn them on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she's actually, like, thinking ahead, right? And um, and it's just such a great, like, um, cat and mouse scene. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a really nicely done scene, I think. Yeah, I think this movie's aided really well. I think I understand why it won Best Cinematography. So I didn't realize it won that until after I rewatched the movie. But looking back on it, one of the things, I think Howard Schwartz is the name of the cinematographer. One of the things that Howard Schwartz talked about was the lighting and also like shooting some of the scenes. And he went into a lot of great detail. He did an interview with the American cinematographer when he was, when he won the Emmy. And, um, and he talked a lot about low lights and key lights and things I don't fully understand because I don't make films myself, but about how they put the film together in such a short period of time and made it look like that. And when you think back to it, like, I don't remember where it happens. But there's a great scene with Chuck Connors. It must be while he's at the house at the end. And he's just a shadow. Yeah. And it's super menacing, you know. And it's just little things like that that the film does to keep you really into what's happening and invested in everything. And so they did a really good job with it. But at the same time, I feel like there's not a ton to say about it. Is there anything you guys wanted to add? I think uh, – oh, oh, I did want to mention the, the, um, uh, in, the, in, the, in the cast list she's listed as chair lady. I don't know why she's listed as cheerleading, but uh, Mary Grace Canfield is at the bus stop. Oh, that's talks right. Talks to Donna Mills' oh, I think character. It's char- 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 lady. Is, is it Char Lady? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say I thought it was Char Lady, but I'm looking in. Um, I'm. I've got my uh, uh, trusty uh, copy of Merrill right here, and it says Chair Lady. I thought that doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, Char Lady. She's in works. a chair. She's in a chair. Yeah, yeah, and um, and but but it's always nice to see uh, a Ralph Monroe outside of the um, away from Hooterville. I and thought not uh, doing the carpentry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was nice to see her. It's um, because this is what uh, this is a, a year or so, a year and a half after uh, Green Acres ended. The, so. That was kind of an important scene for me because, oh, she's just kind of rambling, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Do you work at so and so? I work there. It's awful." And <laughs> and I was like thinking, is she working for Chuck Connors and trying to get information out of her? Mm. Oh, maybe, yeah. But that never came to play. And so, but I actually thought she was going to be an important figure. And she she does she does say something that uh, that that struck home with me, and that's uh, when you work in like an office building and and you can't use the toilets oh. on the floor you're on. You have to go to other floors. That's a pain in the ass. If you'll pardon my French. Yeah, it can do be. better. Do better than that. If you're running the building, make the toilets should work. That's all I ask for. I can take the steps. I don't need the elevator. Make the toilets work. I think Thank that's you. what I think that's Char Lady's thing. Her, yeah, yeah, her complaint <laughs> it, too. It was nice to see her when she said, "Hey, there's Donna, Donna Mills, and Ralph." Well, oh. there was a lot of great. So we've talked about most of the people who were in it that would be well known, but also David Spielberg plays the Doctor, and he's a really, oh, really yeah. well known face. And of course, I'm blanking on everything he's been in, but you've seen him in Ten Thousand Things. He's so wonderful and so like there's just all these amazing character actors that show up through the film i didn't actually know much about Catherine burns who plays celeste yeah, neither did I. Yeah. but uh she did a handful of movies and um 
she, I feel like she got nominated for an Oscar for something. Of course, now I'm drawing a blank. But uh, uh, she would end up becoming a writer on a soap opera that aired for one year on the Fox network in 1990 called Tribes, which huh. I'd never heard of. And somebody's uploaded the first 78 episodes on YouTube, and I just died. Yeah, when I saw that. So she wrote, like, the first 15 episodes of it. Wow. Yeah, super cool. But otherwise, yeah. I, I wasn't too familiar with her. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I mean, it's just a bunch of really capable actors mm-hmm. kind of being given a pretty solid script by a man named Cliff Gould and letting uh, Shawark. I feel so bad. Like, I'm totally going <laughs> to just butcher his name here and there. Shawark. Uh, really take the reins and like just make a good solid little film. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's where the made for TV movie excels. And I kind of think that's a problem for us because I find that when we really like a movie, we're like, oh yeah, and then this is that's it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah, no. because the thing about these TV movies, especially the early ones, is that they do really like kind of go from point A to point B without a lot of hassle in between. They do. Yeah. And and I like that. You know what I mean? Mm. You just sit there and you don't have to worry about being weighed down by a lot of subplots or keeping track of people or, or anything like that. And um and it's good, but then I feel like sometimes when we talk about the movie, maybe we don't push how good it is. I, yeah, well, I, I, I do. I think one of the one of the things with, with like night, night, say like Night of Terror, Night Terrors, uh, She Cried Murder, is is they're all they're all the same the same basic starting point a, a woman in in danger being pursued by someone but they do I, I think the joy of it it's almost like listening to like a an album by a band that you love you know you hear the first song and and it's great and then you hear the other songs in the album and you're hopefully they're not all going to be the same you're going to get some nice variations you're going to get some different moods you're going to get some different feelings and it's almost like watching like night of terrors is this kind of woman in in danger yeah. kind of movie where she where she gets to a safe house and she actually has time to relax you know night terrors is where she doesn't have any time to relax and she cried murder is well it's telly savalas after linda day you know and it's it's um it's i i think i think to me the the joy of these especially these early tv movies the the 90 minute ones is that yeah they are they generally they set it up and then they do it and there's not a lot of asides. It just goes, like you said, from point A to point B, and they're very entertaining. And the joy is if you look deep enough, you can find variations on all the different plot lines and stories and things, and hopefully you can enjoy many of them. I know I have. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to put it because you're right. They're all kind of – they've got the same blueprint, but they're all doing something totally different inside of them. And – and at the same time, and, you know, I've talked about this, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but, like, they've got these really dynamic women mm-hmm. playing playing these really, like, kind of quietly strong characters. Like, all those three movies that you've talked about, Night Terror, Night of Terror, and She Cried Murder, all have kind of really quiet heroines mm-hmm. that prove to be really resilient, really um, resourceful, uh, much stronger than people originally gave them credit for smart you know but they're all yes, dealing with yeah. different situations and so it's it's kind of nice i kind of want to do a triple yeah yeah <laughs> you know? yeah and it it does occur to me too that the um um when we're watching the movies now we're we sort of separate them all out and things as if they were almost regular movies you know like oh i watch this movie today and six months later i watch this movie but these movies were coming week after week yeah you know they they were going i mean i'm just looking right here oh my gosh Two days before Night of Terror, the f- 
Heck Ramsey, the first oh. Heck Ramsey film. Wow, is that aired. a great night. Richard Bean. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there's, there's all, I mean, when, when you just look, if you look at a list of all the movies and, and when they aired, especially the first edition of Merrill does them in order, and you just see how many of these movies came out. It's almost like episodes of a TV show. You know, when yeah. you watch Columbo, when you watch Columbo, you want, you want something comfortable, but you also want to go into a place that you haven't been to before. Yeah, and that's a, and, that's a tough, that's a tough balance. It's tough to do. Yeah, because yeah. you can get, you can get, you can get uh, caught in a rut. Uh, really quick, or you can do stuff that's too uh, sort of wacky or strange for people to come back to sometimes. Yeah. You know, another supernatural movie that I would add to this list that also was an ABC movie of the week is that we covered it many, many moons ago, Revenge with Shelley Winters, where she has Bradford oh, Doman yeah. in the cage. Because yeah. you remember the woman in that, the housewife, and I can never remember the actress's name. Um, she hires a psychic to help her find her husband, yes. played by Stuart mm-hmm. Whitman, but finds out he's a fraud, and then she dives into her own female intuition. To find him, and yes. it's another one of those where you don't expect the woman to be as resourceful as she is. Yes. And then she comes and brings it out and, and is the hero. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of that happening on TV back then, and it was really cool. you know. Yeah. And that's probably why, as an adult, I'm so still so drawn to a lot of these movies because of that component of these women. Yeah. And also the element of the horror and the suspense and thrillers. Yes, it is, it is nicely done. If it were if it were shabby, we'd spot it. <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. be talking about it. Yeah, yeah. so um, did you want to add anything else, Dan? Oh, I just wanted to say, if Stuart Whitman had walked in instead of Martin Balsam, would you have had the same warm feeling? Yes. Oh, it would, have been warm. it would have been warm all over. What? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. When I said the movies I watched the other day, the other one was um, Blazing Magnum, Shadows in an Empty Room, oh. with Stuart Whitman, the oh. sort of um, semi-slasher, semi, I don't know how you say it, uh, semi-giallo, semi-police. Um, yeah, yeah. Tisa Farrow's in it, yeah. Yeah, Tisa Farrow and Martin Landau, and it's really good. It's got a great car chase. It's got some creepy moments and um, a helicopter blown up in the end. There you go. And it's Stuart Whitman, like, at his maddest. Oh, I love him. I just, I have so much warm feelings for him, and I crush on him hard. And he's just amazing. <laughs> There's just something about him that, I, especially that era, that early 70s era, Stuart mm-hmm. Whitman is, like, everything yeah. to me. I would have liked him and Martin Balsam to have done, like, a cop film together or something. Just Maybe. two cops on the last case together. Maybe they have. We haven't covered every TV movie. I'm looking through the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're desperate for that. But, but, but that's, all I, that's all I have. Okay, um, so let me do a little background here, and then we'll move on to the next movie. So this originally aired on October 10th, 1972. It was, again, an ABC movie of the week. It came in at number 24 for the season. That's a pretty good rating. Um, with a 23.3 slash 35, which just roughly means that I think I've gotten the rating system right now, 35%. Of households with televisions that were watching TV the night the movie originally aired were tuned in to Night of Terror. So that's a third of America, right, basically watching. Yes. Um, and then it ran against on CBS. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. Let me tell you what it ran against on NBC first. Bonanza and an episode of The Bold Ones. So that's a big powerhouse night of TV. And then on CBS, it ran against Hawaii Five-0, half an hour of it. And then it ran against a TV movie that I love and that we should probably cover called Visions, which stars Monty Markham. And as a matter of fact, I know what movie I'm going to double it with. Um, it stars Monty Markham as, I think he's a professor who has psychic visions of a mad bomber. Yes, yes. Yeah, have you Monty seen it? Monty Markham. No, no it's, it's next in the Merrill book. Oh, okay. Because they're in order, so Visions yeah. is right here. Subsequently titled Visions of Death. 
Directed yes. by Lee H. Katzen, yes. Yes, and I'll be honest, um, if, if I was old enough to have chosen, I would have been a year old when this aired, but if I had been old enough to choose, I probably would have picked Visions because I love Monty Markham, and also I love that movie. So um, so that was a tough night of TV right there, two really good TV yeah. movies. Um, like I said, it was shot in 10 days. The exteriors of the house um, were located in Malibu, but like I said, the filmmakers couldn't find a house that was set up like they wanted with the wheel with the wheelchair access and the elevator. So they created that on the Paramount lot. Um, according to cinematographer Howard Schwartz, uh, this is a quote from him. It was a 90 minute minus commercials, ABC Tuesday movie of the week. And we had 10 shooting days plus an extra day of second unit for the car chase stuff in the garage. That's a pretty short schedule for a picture involving locations. But what made it workable was the fact that the key people were given a week of preparation by our production manager, Sam Stringus or Stranges. That much preparation was a big plus on the show on a show like this. We had a chance to visit the locations with the director and talk about how all the shots would be made. I can't stress too strongly the importance of pre-production planning on a show like this. You can do so much if you have a good production manager who will really swing with you and a director who knows in advance what he wants. So and they did spend some time on this, even though they had a very short shooting schedule. There was a lot of preparation, a lot of thought went into this film. So that might be why it has this great kind of feel and look to it. Um, and like I said, it was written by a man named Cliff Gould, who was primarily an episodic uh, writer. He did Black's Magic. He did The Devlin Connection. He did a lot of stuff. Uh, he did a TV movie that I'd never heard of from 1973 titled Hunter, which, according to IMDb, goes like this. A fatal crash at a racetrack injures a government agent and exposes an enemy brainwashing scheme. It's an unsold pilot. And I can't remember who stars in it, but it's somebody like John Vernon, I think. So that's definitely something I need to nice. see. And I think it has gotten a DVD release. Um, and I mentioned Catherine Burns wrote for a show called Tribes, which is a soap opera. But one of the coolest things, I thought, was when the delivery boy shows up at the Malibu house, I kept thinking, is that the guy from Claudio Fragasso? Is that how you say it? Night Killer? That's, oh, is it, was it? That's the guy that kidnaps Tara Buckman. <laughs> Oh, yes, he's attacked in the bathroom at one point. If I yes, that's right, that's right. Yeah. She flushes his clothes down the toilet. Yes, yes. And then, oh, that movie's bonkers. I just oh, saw that's it for the, the best first movie. time like two weeks ago. Yeah, it's crazy. And I don't know what Tara Buckman's doing in it. It's great. Yeah. yeah. She's in like a <laughs> film that somebody else is making somewhere else. Um, and she was in Death Car on the Freeway, so she was also doing two mm. movies at this mm. time. Yes, that's too. right, yeah, yeah. So a long time ago... Um, I wrote an article. I ended up. It was on a website, but the website went away, and so I ended up publishing it on my blog. And it was. I did it in four parts because it was so long. It was called Small Screen Scream Queens, and the reason why we published it was because it it literally took me three years to write it because I was just getting into TV movies and I was really trying to see as many as I could to come up with these lists of women and all the genre movies that they made. So I did it like a countdown where I. Uh, started with like somebody like Valerie Harper who was only in one or two movies in the 70s that were genre and then went to somebody who made a crap ton of them right and so I ended up uh, my number one was Donna Mills and so here's just a list of a few of the or I guess this is most of her genre films in the 70s that she made for TV including episodes of Thriller so I'm bending here the rules but Haunts of the Very Rich, Night of Terror, The Bait, Thriller, Someone at the Top of the Stairs, Live Again, Die Again, Thriller, One Deadly Owner, another thriller called The Killer with Two Faces, which is a great entry. Uh, she's in Who is the Black Dahlia. She was in Beyond the Bermuda Triangle, which is a 
really interesting film. Um, Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby, which is a questionable film. Um, Smash Up on Interstate 5, which is an amazing film. Curse of Black Widow, amazing. The Haunted Lady, Superdome, and Hanging by a Thread, which may be a miniseries, but I can't remember. Yes, it was a two-part. That's fun. That's Bert Convy and a bunch of people trapped in in one of those... um, like it's uh, a air tram kind of thing. Right? Air, yeah, those things that go from like like a ski lift kind of air tram. Kind of, they get trapped in it. And it's oh, that's fun. That's a fun one. That's uh, Irwin Allen. Yeah. Yeah. And so and that those and I feel like I'm missing movies, but those that's that there you go. And so she was really making a lot of genre stuff. And just briefly before we started recording, I was on Instagram and I followed Donna Mills on there, and she just got a Peloton, right? And so she took video of herself in full hair and makeup doing the Peloton, saying 81 is the new 20. So my queen just turned 81, guys. And she's spinning, and she looks amazing on that bike. (laughs) And so I'm so happy. She's totally amazing. So here's something interesting about Night of Terror. So I'm going to read you one paragraph of a critic from Variety, and then I'll tell you what another critic said about it. So Variety hated Night of Terror. They hated it. It was two column length of hate. So here's just one paragraph. <laughs> Night of Terror was a sordid telemovie that should never have been slotted in the 8:30 to 10 p.m. time slot. An hour earlier in the central or, or an hour earlier in central time zone. Cliff Gold's mean little teleplay was hardly the stuff for the young people available at the time and withal. It was one of the more gross violations of the network's pledge to reduce violence in the early evening. He hated it. He thought everybody huh. was awful. Yeah, I did huh. not get that from that. But it does bring up seems a bit, yeah, much, uh, yeah. where television was going, and I won't go too deeply into it here, but uh, one of the things I lecture about is what I call the small screen video nasty, and that's when Born Innocent kind of changed the face of oh primetime, and they created the family viewing hour mm-hmm. because they thought too many young people were, were seeing too many violent images and it was creating aggressive behavior, which even the Surgeon General was like, not likely, but still. So, uh, But then Kevin Thomas of the LA Times he really enjoyed it. He found it to be diverting and suspenseful. And he said, performances are first rate all around in this solidly crafted thriller. Miss Mills brings to life a likable, ordinary character, always the toughest to play. And he also really loved Balsam and Moorhead and said they brought a lot of warmth, which I mentioned earlier. So we have two really different interpretations of yeah. the film. One is that it's a gross violation of the <laughs> pledge to have less violence on television and somebody who thought it was a really good thriller, and it's kind—I of, don't understand yeah. how it got that far across the, the spectrum. The first one sounds like it has an, an agenda that it's that it's after to me, because that doesn't sound like the. I mean, I mean, there is there is certainly violence in the first twenty minutes or so, and right at the end, but. Um, to say that that's, bad, that's the whole purpose of it's not that bad to say that's the whole purpose of the movie. I, I don't I don't think in the end it becomes more like these two people, like finding a bond there just happens it just happens to involve chuck connors wanting to kill one of them yeah and that that's that all. shit happens yeah that's all yeah so like yeah just a really interesting kind of uh assessment of a movie that i don't think anybody could ever watch that way and i think you're right it must be agenda but there was like this growing sort of anxiety about about young people being able to see these movies with all the violence in them. And I think it's interesting that this is the first time that I've actually seen it appear like in an, a review. Yeah. 
you know? I, yeah, I wonder too if um, with something like that, because you, you have someone reviews it like that and says, oh, this is so violent. Oh my God, I had to take my kids to therapy for a year. And, but the movie only, like, only airs once. Yeah. So like, so so to the so to the people who who think these things are terribly violent, they're like, well, I didn't see the movie, but look at the review in Variety. This must have been terrible, you know, because it's not something they could go see in the yeah. theater again. So once it airs, maybe even by the time you're reading the review, it's maybe already aired, and if you missed it, all you have in your mind is, wow, Variety thought it was the most horrible thing since I don't know, Night of the Living Dead, Blood and Lace, I don't know, something. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, it's, mm. even though Pretty Sex Chains on Massacre, they're like, oh my yeah. god, it's it's just it's, as bad. It's worse. You got and, and there's a little asterisk and it says you're gonna have to wait to find out what that reference means. <laughs> just Hold on wait. for two years. Just wait. You'll Trust understand. us. Yeah, it was just a really interesting thing, and I was like, wow, I've never seen such hatred for a TV movie that I thought was really sweet. But there you go. And so that's the that's the background. That that's one. This one had a little bit more because of Howard Schwartz's. I mean. Uh, um, that he won for the cinematography. But um, the next one, which we're going to talk about right now, is called You'll Never See Me Again, another ABC movie of the week, directed by our man, Chwark. I'm slowly learning <laughs> how to pronounce his name with confidence. Yes. And, uh, Dan, why don't you tell us what this one's about? Sure. Uh, I, 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 would just, I just wanted to say, I'm, I've, as I said, I have um, uh, Meryl open here, and um, page 136 is a picture of Jess Walton and David Hartman, and you'll never see me again. And for some reason, whenever I saw this picture, I thought of David Hartman when he was on The Virginian, and I always thought this was like a Civil War movie oh, or something. Oh, War Dress, yeah, I could see it. In that yeah, and, and so, and I also want to say that um, uh, er, a few days before uh, this movie, uh, I Love a Mystery aired which actually had made several years before, but is a fun, I think it's a fun adaptation of the old radio show. And the movie The Stranger aired, which became Stranger in Space, and is on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, and then, of course, a week before, one of your favorites, Amanda, The Norless Tapes oh. aired. Was there anything so, else I, you needed to watch that season? <laughs> and then a week after, the $6 million man movie and the Marcus Nelson murders, which is the Kojak TV movie, so this was a this was a hefty Ooh, time. What a great time for yeah. TV! Yeah, um, so so this in this one we meet the the Blisses, and we're going to find out that name is a bit ironic as the movie goes along. Um, and they're they're I was going to say a young couple, but David Hartman even in the Virginian, which was like five years before this, he always <laughs> was looks thirty five. He always looks old, um, not not old, but but he he never looks young. You know, not like like John Carradine never looked young, not quite that, but you know, he never looks young to me. Um, but he's he uh, it's it's um, Ned and Vicky, and they're married, and they're having a nice time, um, and they they're out in the woods having a lovely day together. They go back to they've just recently married, and they live two hours away from her mother. She doesn't speak to her mother, but she gets a kind of strange note from her mom that's very um, it's very. St- st- it's it's very distant and it's it's implied that when she reads a letter it says something like love mother and she there's kind of a feeling when she reads a letter that like something's wrong with that this letter i'm calling ma she calls her mother it's busy she can't get through um and so she says and it's like it's i don't know what time it is but it's it's the evening and ned has to be ned's an architect he has to be on this building site in the morning and she says let's spend two hours driving and make sure my mom's okay ned says no they get in an argument and it goes badly. I suppose I have to wear a tie. You want me to wear a tie? Why ask me? I'm just a 
child incapable of making such major decisions. I'm sorry I called you a child. And my mother? You've called her a hypochondriac. I didn't say she was a hypochondriac. I said she got her hooks in me. Oh, and you're immune to your parents, aren't you? That's why we spent two boring weeks in Minnesota. Vicki, I said I'd go with you. That settles it, all right? No, no, no. I don't want to do anything that doesn't fit into your blueprint. What do you mean by that? I mean, it's not in your blueprint to just take off in a car somewhere. You're a... Oh. A what? You never do anything spur of the moment. Never. It's ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. You're a planner. You make lists. You, before you go to bed, you put on your pajamas. Right. You're, you're, you're as predictable as one of your buildings. My buildings are pace centers. They're avant-garde. I didn't mean it that way. Predictable? Ned, I am sorry. Your buildings are beautiful. Thanks very much. Where are my cigarettes? You gave them up. Anyway, I don't want you to come with me. I really don't, Ned. Okay, why are you going on like this? I said I'm going to go with you. Well, you could say it like you meant it. Do you want me to lie about my feelings? Is that what you want? No. I don't want you to lie about anything. Even if it would make me happy. Oh, wait a minute. Don't! That tone of voice is pretty hard to take, you know. That's tough. You are not going to talk to me like that. You let me go. I'm leaving. You're not leaving. You're going to stay right here and listen. If you let go of me or I'll bite your hand. You're not going to do anything except... day he's he's out at work and he's doing his thing and when he comes home and we we do meet at that point we do meet a co-worker of his who's very joking you know when when ned mentions that uh my, my wife left last night to visit her mother and hasn't contacted me well ned she spent the night with me <laughs> and um that guy's kind of a douche um uh and and ned when he gets home he discovers his wife isn't there and he calls her mom, and her mom says she never made it there. And he goes to the bus station because she wasn't going to drive. She was going to take a bus. And the guy at the ticket counter says, yeah, I remember her. She she forgot her money. And so she hitchhiked. She hitchhiked away. And he goes. Ned goes to the police, but the police can't do anything, unlike in that Shawnee Smith film where they can you know, go after a missing person within two or three hours. In this film, they have to wait 48 hours before they can find a missing person. And so he begins to investigate himself, and he, he, he drives down to um, where the mom is, and he stops at a gas station, and Bo Svensson is there playing Sam. And Sam sees a picture of her and says, I've never seen her. But a guy, a mechanic, says, oh, yeah, Sam spoke with her. But Sam says, I did not. And Ned leaves and goes to visit Mom, who he's never met before, and visits Mom and Mom's, I think, Mom's new husband. Um, I, was, I, I forgot exactly what he was, but the guy who's living with Mom. 
uh, and they're both kind of like, yeah, no, we haven't seen her. Sorry. And and the 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 the, the guy there gets really mad at the way he treated uh, Vicky. Stupid argument. It was silly. Now don't dwell on it. Dwell on it. What else can he think about? Because if he'd come with her. I'm sorry. Don't you know that? Well, it isn't your fault. She's a hot-tempered girl, right, Will? Once we quarreled, and she, she stayed away for, for days. How many days, Will? Why did you let her go off alone? Now, please, Will. We had an argument. She could have called us. She tried to call you. I just don't understand it. A man lets his wife go off alone, hitchhiking down some dark road. I thought she was on a bus. What are you saying? Please, Will. Look what you've done to us. We were fine. We were going to travel. We're going to start life again. Everything was fine. Will, stop. You don't know what you're saying. Stop it. Why'd you let her go off alone? Ned ends up going back to his house. The cops show up. And they found uh, her dress, Vicky's dress, in the back of his car with blood on it. And they say someone called them and said they think Ned did this. Ned kidnapped her or killed her. Was that blood on the dress? Looks like it. The lab will tell us. Mr. Bliss, you know where your wife is? No. Who called you? Whoever called you put that dress in the car. They didn't give his name. Well, doesn't that sound just a little phony to you? Oh, I don't know. Put yourself in his place, Bliss. Hey, somebody who knows you, somebody who's worried about your wife, somebody who doesn't want to get involved. <laughs> that sounds pretty normal, doesn't it? And the caller said that you were acting funny, irrational. That's ridiculous. Am I supposed to be calm? My wife just disappeared. Bliss, you did tell the sergeant that there'd been some violence. There wasn't any violence. I just slapped her, that's all, not hard. She tripped. Looks like blood on one of your shirts. I, I, when I slapped her, she got a nosebleed. Maybe that's how the blood got in her dress. Maybe. Where did she trip? Show me. It wasn't a blow. It was it was just a little slap, you know? It, well, show me. It was right about here. And, uh, she just stumbled back a little, that's all. She fell. She fell here? Yes, she but... She hit her head here. No. She was dead, you panicked. No, we just had a stupid little argument and she left, that's all. What was the argument about? What, what difference saying? does it make what it's about? She left and now we don't know what's happened to her. Bliss, I can put myself in your place. It happens a lot. Two people say ugly things to each other and... Finally, one of them says something, the other just can't stand to hear, and bam! You're a powerful man, Mr. Bliss. No, that's not what happened. All right. And how was it? Listen, I just told you, don't... Don't you believe anything I said? Doesn't matter if I do or not. By tomorrow, you may have changed your story ten times. It happens all the time. You see, it's not so much that people lie. It's just there are sometimes... Well, sometimes there are things that people won't let themselves remember. What did you say your name was again? Stillman. Call me John. Now listen to me, Lieutenant Stillman. 
I love my wife. Now, maybe she's dead, I don't know. But maybe she's alive. And if she is alive, maybe she needs help. The only important thing right now is to find her, and I can help. And then, unfortunately, he freaks out on a cop, steals a car, and kind of goes on a mini, not a rampage, but he's desperately trying to find out what the heck happened to his wife and where she is before the cops get her, before everything falls down around him. And it's it's implied at one point that, that possibly he did this himself, and maybe he doesn't remember. I'm going to leave it at that. David Hartman on a mini rampage to find his wife. Wasn't that the there original title, David Hartman on a mini rampage to find his wife? That's what it says in Merrill. You never see him again, a.k.a. Yep. Yeah. That's that, not quite that, as catchy of a title. That's not, that's not, as, that's not as catchy, no. But, but it's, it's, it's mostly, if you like David Hartman, this is a film for you. Because he's it. up front and center. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll be honest, I've never seen David Hartman as an actor, really. I only know him from Good Morning America. Same here. Uh, apart from the Virginian. Yeah. yeah, I had never really seen him as an actor. And so it was, uh, he's just a genial host of like a light news show to me. And so yes. this was sort of uh, kind of neat to see. But I didn't want to interrupt your breakdown. But like that part where they have the fight, mm-hmm. that's kind of like a very, I hate to use the phrase, didn't age well. But, like, that's upsetting. Yeah. There's some abuse yeah. going on there. Not that she's great, yes. you know, in the argument, or, and I'm not defending her. But, like, at the same time, that what got, that got intense. They, yeah, and they, they do keep – I mean, that keeps coming back on him, though. Um, it does. Throughout the movie. That, that it, it, it It's like no matter what he's trying to do, somehow they always seem to know that you hit her. And that seems to always come back, and he, he doesn't – I don't – he – I, I never quite fully figured the, the, his character out. Maybe that's the that's the magic of Hardman. You never fully know. <laughs> but but that that was sort of one of the things throughout it is that like whenever he you think he's got a step ahead or he's about to find something out, somehow someone learns you hit her. <laughs> yeah, good luck. And suddenly like <laughs> it like falls apart around him, and you're like, well, you did. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. But if she is lying half dead in a ditch. Maybe you should try to find her. Yeah. Now that that may or may not be a spoiler, but I'll stop there. And of course, his name is Ned Bliss. <laughs> I heard that. And I thought that. Well, it was based on a short story. I have not read the Cornell Woolrich uh, story that it's based on. I haven't either, but he's a great writer. Yeah, he is. He is. So there's a chance he could have used the name <laughs> Ned he's Bliss. Completely possible. Um, Nate, had you ever seen this before? No, I had never seen this one before either. Um, so what'd you think? I really like this one a lot. Um, I, I find like movies with that feature missing persons and like you as the audience don't know what happened to them either. It, I find those very engaging because um, you know is is uh, the movie goes on. You know David Hartman is you know trying to track her down in every way that he can possibly think of um, and. The fight that they had did definitely make me uncomfortable. You know, just the whole with her biting his hand and him like hitting her and and giving her a bloody nose. I mean, mm, yeah, that was um, that was rough. Yeah. Um. But um, I de- definitely did not guess what uh, was basically what was going on, like where she was and what had happened to her. And um, 
I mean, I was actually pretty shocked in the scene where, you know, he's knocking out the wall. Oh, that's right. And he sees the the hand, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, I can't believe this movie went there. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I really wasn't expecting that. But, I mean, of course, you know, there's nothing is exactly as it seems. Um, But, yeah, I uh, thought that the ending, um, I mean, I I was kind of glad that it ended the way it did. But I will say uh, for a little bit there, I didn't think it was going to have like a, you know, they lived happily ever after kind of ending. It just something filled this movie just kind of filled me with this sense yeah. of dread yeah. that like, um, like just, I don't know. You just, it's, it's very, it, it kind of reminds me in a way of, um, you guys have seen the, the vanishing, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Where it's yeah. just, wanting to know so bad, you know, what happened to this person and how it can drive you crazy. And I found it very uh, interesting, like, um, you know, Dan Dan had mentioned um, that uh, at one point he's even questioning himself, like, did I do something and don't remember it? You know, I mean, it's it's like it's driving him to that point, like driving him that crazy. Um, But, yeah, I, uh, I thought this was a hidden gem. I liked it a lot. Awesome. Yeah, this was a first time viewing for me, too. Um, I've been wanting to see it for a long time because uh, I love Jess Walton. And um, and I, I've seen her in stuff from this. I know her mostly as Jill on uh, Jill Abbott on Young and the Restless, and she's still on there. Um, but I knew her mostly as like the older soap actress and not like... That's right, she is. Yeah, that's Jill Abbott. That's why I sat there the yeah. whole time going, she, what? Yeah. She's been in lots of yeah. stuff. And like she was in, yeah. I think the first thing I saw her in where she wasn't Jill Abbott was an episode of the $6 million Cannon. Man. Oh. I think it was the $6 million Man or a show like that. And it took me forever to figure out who she was. Because I kept saying, I recognize this actress. Yes. I recognize her. Why do I know her? Oh, oh, she plays Jill Abbott. And she's stunning. She's just this beautiful woman and um, still beautiful. And she's such a talent. But she usually plays these kind of gruff. Like Jill Abbott is like, she's going to eat you alive, you know, and take no prisoners and all that stuff. And so here she's playing somebody completely different. And she's also in The Victim, that Elizabeth Montgomery movie that I did the commentary for. See, I'm just dropping all these commentary things I did. (laughs) But, uh, um, and and when I was researching her, I came across this movie, and I was like, yeah, I've been wanting to see this. So, um, so it's been on my radar. And, of course, she's like in The Victim. She just shows up for a small portion of it, but she's welcome in anything for me. So, so this was really great for me to discover it. I don't know that I liked it as much as Nate did. I feel like of the two films, Maybe, Nate, did you prefer this one over the other one, if you had to pick one? Honestly, uh, yes, I think I did. I think it's just my whole, like, horror personality. I found this movie to be a little more horrific. Yeah, no, I would agree with you, uh, but I think I like the other one more. I like both of them a lot, but I think if I had to pick one, like if I was on a desert island, they have, you'd have these two movies. But before I want to talk about what this movie reminded me of, because I feel like it's maybe a little spoilery, um, Dan, what did you think? Oh, I really uh, I really liked it too. Um, please, uh, don't make me pick. Yeah, I know it's I'm hard, sure. isn't it? I know, it's it's difficult, because um, like I said, David Harmon, to me, um, uh, when, I, when I covered uh, the mid-80s sh- show Shadow Chasers on on um 
uh, uh, my podcast, Major Super Train, uh, at the end of every episode, because they were all taped off of whatever station Good Morning America was on, and so the credits would roll, and almost every single episode you hear, this is David Hartman. Tomorrow on Good Morning America, we talk about who does my hair and should it look like that? Has a mistake been made? You know, and it's it's him on every every time. And you know, um, about two years or so ago, I saw he's on the Virginian for a season, a season and a half, and he's pretty good on it. He's not one of my favorite characters, but he's good when he's on it. And I'd never really seen much of his. um, He's on San Francisco International, Mm, the TV movie. I haven't seen that. he plays the um, he plays the pilot who is ordered by the um, the 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 bad guys to slow to not allow the plane to take off because they're pulling some sort of heist, and so he keeps bothering um, uh, Pernell Roberts oh, by stopping the plane over and over again. It's a it's a fun it's a fun and I will say I I have seen it in in a, a standalone and it's also a very funny episode of Mystery Science yeah. Theater 3000 uh, but it's good it works on standalone too although I have not seen the, the TV episodes that are on 4 and 1 the T, mm-hmm. the yeah, uh, yeah. you know where McLeod and the psychiatrist and um, Night Gallery I think Night Gallery didn't that come out in Blu-ray recently the first season it did it's exciting uh, is, is it do we know anyone yeah, I've been pushing my commentaries, but I was really happy to be on that release too. <laughs> That's fantastic! I can't, I got, I can't wait, I can't wait. Um, we have, I have the Night Stalker standing by here, and I'm going to be listening to your commentary soon on that um but that's all no what was i saying i forgot i, I was <laughs> that um, you really oh, like this movie and david hartman uh I, is david I, hartman. I, I, I did i i like 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 nate said there's something about sort of the missing movies like whether it's the vanishing or even that one from a few years ago the video one i forget what it's called melissa is missing megan is missing I like that seen one that. i heard that's really upsetting so i've kind of it is it. upsetting yes yes it is. i found it upsetting but that that's one like that that too where you know a friend the the friend that she's online with all the time suddenly goes missing and no one really seems to care and then she sees this really violent image involving yeah. her friend and she'll she goes to track her friend down but there's um the 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 thing with it i think it um it 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 doles out the bits of information really nicely so you get like he goes here and you get just a little he goes here and you might get some then he goes i mean they do something very clever i think which is when you hear mom's voice it's jane wyatt that's right and if you know if i mean i i know this now just because i mentioned father knows best a little while ago but in 1973, if you're of an age where you've been alive for 10 years or more, you probably came across uh, the TV show Father Knows Best, where she is one of these sort of typical super sweet moms. So when you hear her voice on the phone, you're like, oh, what a nice mama. <laughs> and then when he goes to visit her, you're like, you know, and he's getting like rough with her at one point. You're like, don't do that. What is Robert Young going to say? Wait, who played who played the dad in Father Knows Best? Was that it? Um, it might what, is, be. what is fa- what is Father going to say? You know, Doctor Marcus Welby, M.D. What is he going to say? And and so they do it nicely because because there's a bit of a twisteroo later on. So they kind of to me they were playing on the fact that you know this it would have been like if, like if if it was Donna Reed. 
you know, or or another famous, you know, mm. mom from, you know, uh, June Cleaver, you know, sure. Barbara Billingsley or something. You wouldn't have, you know, you don't expect Barbara Billingsley to know how to speak jive, which is why it's so funny. <laughs> Just it's in the true. same way that you don't, you don't expect Jane White, like, like, like Nate said, when he slams through the wall and you see what's behind the wall and you realize that Jane White's complicit in it, you're like, no, not our nice mama. No, come on. And it's, I, I like that. I think they dole out the information. Um, they give you just enough, and they ratchet it up when the cops show up, and he goes a little crazy. And he's clearly, at some point, he it looks like he's going crazy. I mean, David Hartman has a big face, and when you put, sorry, Dave, when when you when you when you get a close up of his face, he like he can look crazy pretty good, I think. And there are points when you think near the as as we're drawing towards the end, like, oh my gosh, yeah, did he really do something? to her maybe and he just did he black out or did what's what's going on and and when you get to the end maybe maybe this is because you know it's just a few years after night of the living dead it's when so many so many horror films at this time had that zing right at the end where you think i mean they did that in the 80s too but in the early 70s it was more of a novelty to you know you get to the end and you think everything's okay then at the last moment there's just something you're like uh, but up until the credits began to roll I thought that the Blisses, one or the other, was in trouble. I thought something, just the way it's shot and the way it looks, because the music is going and, and, and going, and, and they, they're drawing closer to one another, but the cops are there too, and, and the bad guy is there too, and it all kind of, it, it, it really is nicely shot, it's nicely edited, and so I didn't, like the last five minutes, I didn't take a breath until the credits started to roll. Then I let out, wow. Whew, that was nicely done, I thought. And so, I think if you want, this is like almost a good episode, this would have been a good episode of Thriller. Yes. I think. I agree. This, this, would have, this, would, this would have been a fun episode of Thriller. And, um, and uh, it's, I know, I think, I, I, yeah, I, thinking about them, I can't, I, at the moment, I know it's, it's wishy-washy, but I can't pick one over the other. But I think this is a strong a strong uh if you if you get it does do one of those things with until she until they start to fight there's a bit too much of i love you mr bliss i love you too mrs bliss oh isn't it great there's a bit they ladle that on pretty heavy yeah but you kind of know they're you, you kind of know they're doing that because something's about to happen there was there was kind of this part of the beginning where i was sort of like miffed at uh, Vicky Bliss because she's like I want to go see my mom and he's like I have to be on this new job tomorrow he's like a architect or something architect, yeah. and uh, and you know it's, I'm just starting this new project or whatever well I want to go to this place and you're going to take me and I was like wow he's paying <laughs> for everything you know what yeah. I mean yeah, and I don't yeah. want to get into like a weird I know that I'm crossing over a lot of lines here but it's kind of like you have to let him go to his job. So like the fight was really frustrating for me, and it's it, it is. It's like she's gonna disappear over this. Yeah, and then and then and then the point it builds to it, it's like oh it built it built to this awfulness just because of, and it's it, it is tricky if you if you can get past if you can get past that once she says you'll never see me again and she leaves from that point on it's a very sharp thriller. Also her that dress. First ten minutes of, Yes, That's amazing. Yeah. I love that base yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. But um, but yeah, I I think maybe it's it's one of those things like um, 
it's like you know i love back to the future but the first 15 minutes or so before marty goes to the mall really spreads on the we're in 1985 really overdoes it because the moment he goes back in 1955 you get to see the payoff to everything that they show right. in 1985 and in here they overdo the fight they overdo uh, they 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 get it slightly wrong like it they they get it slightly wrong sort of about what it, what it's about it doesn't it, it i mean i guess fights escalate like that sometimes they do they certainly, do but, sure but but and and they 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 ladle on the sort of romance like i said the picture in merrill's book it looks like they're a civil war romance and so they they ladle it on pretty heavy but that just means that when she says you'll never see me again and leaves, you remember all of that. Yeah, that, Str- yeah, str- I can if, see. yeah, absolutely. If, if if they had been more subtle, you may not have caught. Um, the, you know, oh, you gave me a nosebleed. Well, she, you could have just shown that or something. You didn't have. She didn't have to yell that it's out. It's definitely more shocking and, to see it. Yeah, you do mer- yes, remember yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so, but um, I think that's that p- p- part of that could be um uh, adapting a, a story. It could it could just be the um uh the the writers kind of just over doing something that's in the story and not making it as visual. As yeah. It should be. Uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up, and I guess this is kind of spoilery for another film. So oh if anybody here is listening, I guess go ahead a couple minutes. But I think I sort of could tell what was going to happen at the house because it reminded me. And actually, I didn't look up to see when the other movie came out, but they would have been around the same time. You'll Like My Mother with Patty Duke. Have you guys seen that? I haven't that? seen that one. No. Have you, Nate? Um, I don't think so. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it. Oh, my God. Okay, well, now I've spoiled it for oh you, too. So, <laughs> You'll Like My Mother is very much like this movie in a lot of ways. And um, and they remind me very much of each other, even though they're slightly different. In the, uh, it's too much to go into. Anyway, I when I was watching this, around the time we get to the reveal of what's inside the walls, I was getting a hardcore You'll Like My Mother vibe. And then, and then I kind of could see where it was going, but that's only because I just watched that movie. It's not like this movie isn't unpredictable. You know, it's not like I'm trying to say, oh, I guessed it, because I probably wouldn't have <laughs> had I not just seen that other movie. But it reminded me so much of it in so many ways. They feel very similar, like um, not exact replicas of each other, but but like in the same family, siblings for mm-hmm. sure. And um and and you'll like my mother was directed by Lamont Johnson who primarily did TV movies, except he did a couple of theatricals like Lipstick, and uh, oh. you'll like my mother, and he had this really <laughs> interesting career. Actually, I think he did other theatricals too, but those are the two that are sticking on my mind. Um, and uh, and I just thought it was funny that they had a kinship. But if you guys haven't seen it, we mm-hmm. can't talk about it, and I don't want to go farther than oh, that because sorry. you should just see it. It's really good. It, it, one of the things with um, "You'll Never See Me Again" that I, I realized as, as you were saying that is there there is sort of a point in it where um, it I, I don't know exactly if I can pinpoint it, but there's almost a point where like it could have been anyone, not just and, and that's kind of the thing I like about it. Is it is it Sam at the uh, at the gas station? Is it Ned? Is it something to do with the mother? Is it something to do with that? other the guy the mother's with i guess her husband um uh, i keep forgetting what her his relationship is to her um is it it could be anyone you really and and there's there's something about it could be the that um the guy he works with you know 
Oh, that sleazy, kind of the, that sleazy hot yeah, guy? The sleazy hot guy who is sleeping with the boss's wife. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that, I, just oh, real sorry. briefly, I was so happy yeah. it wasn't him because, so, <laughs> like, we're watching the first part of the movie, and David Hartman goes to work the next day, and he runs into this his sexy hot friend, and his sexy hot friend, <laughs> sorry, he was sexy hot, his sexy hot friend was like, oh, don't you know I'm in love with your wife, and she's in love with me, and she's moving in with me. Ha, ha, ha. And then David Hartman made a face, and his wife hadn't been missing quite so long at that point. And so, yeah. um, and then as things start to unravel, he's like, oh, my God, I think she's with the sexy hot guy. And I was like, oh, if I find out that he's, that they're really running off together, I'm going to be really mad because they implanted this so early on yeah. that it's, it's, and it seems kind of obvious that I'm going to be really angry. So when, when David Hartman shows up at the hot sexy guy's house and he's with a different woman, <laughs> it's such a relief for me because I'm like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to go somewhere else. This isn't going to go to some obvious end. And it doesn't, you know, unless you've seen you like my mother. And so, yeah, (laughs) I was, I was going to say, I also forgot the guy in the truck who she, who takes her. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, so you get that guy too. Cause there's, there's all sorts of different places that, that she could have. Cause he really traces the path she took and they're like, four different spots yeah, where she could be. It's interesting because she had no money, but she was able to get to the parents' house. And yes. the the bus guy saw her and remembered her. Oh, because she hitchhiked, right? She couldn't buy a ticket, so she just yeah. walked out. And you're right. They did trace it really well. And it's a fairly believable route, right? And then yeah. and both spins is actually uncredited, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, I, I thought that was weird, too, because I sat there looking, isn't that Bo Svensson? <laughs> well, I, Who's I, I, even I, bigger than David Hartman? I think they even put yeah. David Hartman on a step at one point so he could be as tall as Bo Svensson, <laughs> and he still wasn't as tall. He still wasn't so no. That dude is tall. He is. He's very tall. He's very tall. He's very, so I now I want to watch, watch Snow Beast. Because his name is Bo Svensson, I always expect him to sound super Swedish. Same here. Yeah, yeah. he never does. It always surprises me. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna pop in my Blu-ray of um, Snow Beast and maybe read the liner notes. <laughs> Stop it. What? <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, so like, um, yeah, like it's uh, I forgot where we were going, but like she, right, she does take a very believable route, and he does really trace mm-hmm. the minutiae better than the police do. You know. Yes, and they do. Uh, they just oh, care about about pinning him on the crime. Like they've decided that the husband is the culprit. Has done it, yeah. and they don't even care yeah. what other options there are. And that's the um, oh, oh, there there is that moment too. I think that sets um the sort of we, we don't know exactly like where the parents are, but there's something like where the, where the wife says like, well, we only moved to Denby, so we're just or that we we're only two hours away. She says that, which maybe is not the most you know easy line of exposition no. to deliver. <laughs> but but you but you then know at that point that mom is two hours away. So mom isn't like on the other side of the country or something. Yeah. She's within say say uh, 120 miles or something. Hitchhiking like that distance. Taking the expressway. Yeah, hitchhiking. You know, <laughs> my dad, when I was young, he used to pick up hitchhikers. My dad used to hitchhike, so maybe your dad picked oh, up well, my dad. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Gosh. Think about it. I don't know. He used, he used to keep pictures of all of them. Shut up. In and, the glove. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, he did. He did. He did. They this were always is... bound and gagged. It was so weird. <laughs> it was so. It was odd. It was odd. I never figured out why he had a mattress in the back of his truck. But hey, who am I to ask? Yikes. I'm, I'm, I'm six. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yikes. 
Well, my dad did hitchhike a lot, and uh, just not to go too far off the beaten path there, but one day my dad was hitchhiking, and he got picked up by two guys who had actually just robbed, like, a liquor store. Oh, good God. And so he got arrested. And he was in the military at the time, and he was on leave, uh-huh. and he missed his time to come back because he was in jail. Oh, no. And uh-huh. finally the two guys were like, he wasn't with us. We picked him up hitchhiking. So the police wrote a note, like an excuse note, for him being late. To come. Hey, well, yes. Oh, and, and they didn't put a date on it. So my dad stayed away for like three more days. Oh, and then came wow. back and gave the police or gave the military people his note and then they excused it. That's a true story. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's, so that actually one. happened to my dad. But um, yeah, he when he was in the military, he hitchhiked all over the place. So it was in the 50s. Wow. Everybody did it. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, my dad, he only picked up young women who looked like Suzanne Plachette. So he picked up three women. Yes, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. And I was like, and and I, I remember one time like being in the car. I was wow. maybe eight, and just like just like we we passed a young woman hitchhiking. I was like, should we pick her up? And I said, sure, why not? I didn't know I was eight, and she got in the back, and we chatted for a bit, and we dropped her off like two miles down the road. Wow. Um, she was dead. She was in a bag. No, no I'm kidding. Stop she, it. It was like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I picked up a you hitchhiker know, we, we, once. Uh, it was a woman. I never did. Well, she wasn't hitchhiking, I should say. I was in the... It was. You, the, you've seen the hitcher. It was, you know there's a female version of the hitcher yeah. somewhere, like Hong Kong or something. In a, I was driving through uh, Red Rock in Nevada. Okay. Sure. And it was like uh-huh. really late at night, and I was with a guy... And we were on a date, and we passed a woman walking in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And so we picked her up. And it turned out that she was sure. camping, and her uh, she had to make a phone call, like a really important phone call, but the phone was like five miles away. Oh, wow. So by the time she got to the phone and made the call and came back, it was dark. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we just dropped her off at the campsite. It was, And I oh. would never have done it if I hadn't had a guy in the car with me. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I thought you were to say something like she was at a campsite with her friends and they were harvesting um, marijuana and then the government dropped a bunch of uh, crop dusting stuff on them and they all turned into zombies. That would have been a better story. But but maybe not true yeah. is the problem. And this is, we're about truth here yeah. on the Made for TV Man <laughs> That's show. right. So my story was kind of boring, but I have picked up, she wasn't really a hitchhiker. I just picked up a girl wandering down the road. But um, <laughs> anyway... Yeah, so I guess let's talk about where this movie goes, um, because we haven't really talked about the twists and twists. So David Hartman is, what would you say this was David Hartman rage, rages around looking for his missing wife, or whatever the AKA was when they shot this film, the production title. And he's just finding a lot of roadblocks, and I think he goes to the house for a while, the parents' house, and he gets frustrated and he leaves, and then he ends up coming back. And it comes into play, I guess you're right about it being really over the top at the beginning because it's important that he's an architect. Yes. Right? Because he's at the house and he's pretty sure that the mom has done something, but he's not sure what or where his wife is. And he's really upsetting this woman and he's freaking her out and he's yelling. And then he goes from the kitchen into, I think, the living room and he looks and there's something wrong with the lining of the wall, which is amazing, right? And, yeah. and they do this great camera shot where they go back and forth between the walls. I can't tell the difference, but an architect can, right? Especially with all that gaudy wallpaper. And, and I'm like, this is... <laughs> That's a little distracting. This is really becoming Bad Ronald, isn't it? And so I'm getting really excited about what he's going to find. And so he, he starts, like, hitting the wall, 
And listening for that echo or whatever happens when you know that it's empty behind or there's a blank void or whatever. And so he knocks on it, he finds a spot, and he starts knocking it open. And, of course, like Nate said, you see this hand. And you're like, oh, my God, this woman killed her daughter. And uh, and then you look, and it's a woman with gray hair. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? And <laughs> right, because you have no idea what's happening. Who is this person yeah. I've never seen before in the wall of this house? Is his is her mother a serial killer? Right. And mm-hmm. so come to find out that uh, Jane Wyatt, who's Mary Alden, isn't really Mary Alden. She's somebody else. She's like the nurse or the housekeeper or something like that. And I think mm. she's having an affair with Will Alden, the wife, or the husband of the woman that's in the wall. And she, or maybe they're not even having an affair, but the the mother dies unexpectedly. I don't think they murdered her. Yes. And they have to, they decide that they're going to use her social security or whatever she has coming towards her every month, and they're going to live on it. Mm-hmm. And they say she has some stocks or something like that Yeah, she's got like money too, somewhere. Or some yeah. bonds or, or, yeah, something like that. And that they're going to just hold, they're going to hide her body and they're going to collect the money and then they're going to do something with it, like take off. And yet, but the daughter shows up, and of course, the second she shows up, she wants to know where her freaking mom is, and and <laughs> the things get harried. And so Will Alden decides, played by Ralph Meeker, in a really interesting performance, by the way, he's really good at it. Um, he uh, he's got I got to take care of business, so he's kidnapped her, and I don't know what he's done with her, but between when she left the house and got to Denby mm-hmm. and David Hartman finding out what happened because a couple of days have passed I think and and we she's not there in the house and but she's possibly alive and so um the cops are slowly I think they're still thinking David Hartman's guilty and they've decided to go to Denby to arrest him and luckily he's traumatized this woman so badly that she's ready to confess she's already full of so much guilt about what's happened and mm-hmm. and um feeling really bad and she's I think she's worried about the daughter and so when the police show up she tells them you know uh, Mrs. Alden's husband buried the body in the wall and mm-hmm. the daughter found out and now he's going to kill her and they're out in the woods somewhere so you see David Harmon running through the woods frantically looking for his wife and um, and it, miraculously she's still alive and there's this great scene where he sees a grave. Do you remember this right at the end? Oh, yes. And uh-huh. you're like, oh. The, the mound. Yeah. yeah, the, the, yeah. Like, oh, my God, he got this far. Mm-hmm. And and then he runs in and the grave is empty. And I remember even thinking, yeah. oh, thank God. Yes. You know, I was I was so relieved. And then and then he has to fight Ralph Meeker, who's, like, fighting air. Because he's, <laughs> like, and then, <laughs> like, a paper bag. He's not really a very tough guy. He gets the advantage because he's screaming and running with a shovel at, um, right. at Ned. But but that's a, the main <laughs> advantage he gets once once Ned recovers from that. Yeah, uh, Ralph Meeker's you know, not much of a Mr. Elm's in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And so and so uh, Jill, uh, I can't want to call her Jill because she's Jill Abbott. Um, Jess Walton's character Vicky, Vicky yeah. is uh, is sort of stuck in this little I don't know what you call that little area where she's hidden from him, like in the brushes or something. And she manages to get her little gag off and screams for help, and then everything is happy and they found each other. But uh, um, yeah, it surprisingly ended up with a happy ending and, and pretty satisfying too because I kind of think in TV movies you expect them to find the person, but I mm-hmm. find that the surprise of the film is how invested you are in David Hartman finding her. Yes. Not the actual yeah. finding of her, 
but what mm-hmm. when David Hartman finds her, there's you're just really invested in that moment. They frame the the moment you see her. I think they frame it really beautifully because she's in the lower left hand corner, and there's a tree that's right on the edge of like a small drop. That's what it is. And yeah. she's she's in the small drop in the corner left hand corner, and he's up in the top like right hand right. corner of the frame, running coming down the hill. But you can see from the way it's laid out that if she doesn't make a sound, he's just going to go by. He can't. He can tell. He can't see where she is, even though we can. So as he's coming down there, and she's trying to get the thing off, you're saying, "Come on, get the thing off the mount. Come on, do something. Make a noise. Come on, because you know he's going to run by. And if he runs by, that there may be a chance. At that point, I was thinking, if he runs by her, the cops will get to him first and end up shooting him. That's right. Well, I think they that's, must know though, because I think the something's. Yeah. I think Jane White's character told the police what had happened in the house. I was still worried that they might like they might like see him like David Harmon's coming at me and shoot him or something like <laughs> that. That's how we all react my... when David Harmon comes out. Uh, because the very last shot is like them in that corner of the frame That's right. embracing and the cops in the right hand where he was approaching them. But of course they won't see, you know, them either unless they make a noise or something. But then the credits start to roll and you're like Oh, thank goodness. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Give him a break. We made it. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it comes to a really satisfying conclusion, and um, which is nice. Uh, I think yes. both of these films, oh, we didn't talk about the end shot in uh, Night of Terror, uh, but I think they both have great end shots. So you really talked very well about the end shot in um, You'll Never See Me Again because it is framed really beautifully because the cop does end up being where David Hartman is at first and he can't see the couple have reunited. And uh, and it's just a really, whoever set up that camera shot did a great job of yeah, that. Yeah, it's a beauty of yeah, shot. Yeah, that spot. And then in, in Night of Terror, what I like so much about it is at the end, um, Donna Mill's character starts to get uh, feeling back and there's more feet. And <laughs> But she's in a field with Martin Balsam at this hospital, they're on the hospital grounds, and there's this, there's these children playing around her, and, and she's so excited to see them, and it's just this beautiful shot of all the kids running around her, yeah. and I feel like things are going to go back to some kind of normalcy for her, because that's what's normal for her is being around all these kids, you know, and and all this stuff, and so I just want to bring that up because I do love that end shot. So both these movies, I think, have really great, satisfying endings. Yes, you know, I, I would say Night of Terror probably has a more surprising ending because I wasn't quite sure how she was going to get out of her wheelchair situation. Yeah, it's it's more sort of, I don't know, visceral isn't quite the word, but it's it's a difference yeah. between, yeah, her her trying to struggle out of the wheelchair with like two minutes of David Hartman running through a forest, stopping every ten seconds and going, Vicky! And then running some more, Vicky! And, and so that's, you know, there's tension in there. Yeah, there is, yeah. But I think there was more because he's David Hartman. Oh I yeah, mean, no, he's, it's, he's more, a big guy. it's more suspenseful. Yeah. I just think that they Mm. I like the other ending. There's just something really sweet oh, no. and beautiful about it. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Uh, the, the actual ending. Ending. Yeah. No. No. Understood. Yeah. Um. But so. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So it, like all this stuff happens and and but it was when it's when they get to the body in the wall that you're just like oh my god that yes. was uh, what just happened mm-hmm. and I love that because there's no way to predict that unless you've seen mm-hmm. you like my mother. It, yeah. There. There's. There's the brief moment when. He's waiting. Ned is waiting for the mom, the mom, 
to come down the steps or something and talking to Ralph Meeker and he looks at the in the room and says oh the T square on this is off or something like that I'm sorry Vicky always says that I always look at everything like an architect and but but the whole time he's saying that Ralph Meeker is looking at him like you jerk oh, no. so you're he's not so so you're so, so you're not really thinking like he actually just spotted something really important yeah we were going to go just, away you're just yeah, you're, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You you just you just sort of think that for a brief moment he stopped thinking about how horrible his life is at the moment and just thought this is an architecturally poorly designed room. And you know it's it's just nice back to get to work to get back to work just for a minute. But Meeker is there being his angry, I don't want to say little self, but he is next to David Hartman. Well, yeah, so. I mean he's great in the role, but it's just I can't imagine he's, him beating up David Hartman. David Hartman exactly. beats up women, guys. Yes. Oh, that that was too. Yeah, that was. And that, I, I felt like, I felt like if I watched the film a couple more times, there'd be some sort of something in there that I wasn't fully getting about why he hit her right there. Like maybe there was something more to it than I thought. I think it was just supposed to be an accident because you know clearly it threw him off too. It was just a thing that happened because you're right. The fight escalated. She got a little physical, which that you're starting to walk into a really gray area with that you know yeah, yeah. and i don't know that i'm qualified to to argue one way or the other about about why that's not good or bad but um yeah so but i mean i think you're right i think it's one of those in the heat of the moment kind of things that he would not normally do but the situation arose in such a way that it just happened I think is what they're trying to get across. I th I think I, part of me actually thought that in the end he was it was going to work out with like he'd find her dead and he'd get arrested for it and somehow the message would be he shouldn't have hit her Ooh. because that's what sent her away. That's what I thought was going to happen because they kept they kept referring back to it. But in the end, when he saves her, she's very appreciative and he's very happy as I would imagine you would be if you've been tied up by a madman in the woods and the only person you could trust who who even though he did a terrible thing the fact that they can still you know she, she isn't like keep away from me she's like okay thank god I hated being locked up in whatever extra wall yeah. he had keep, or something keep like beating that. me up David Hartman <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 tricky because it, you really do want to get the next. You you kind of want to get like the next twenty minutes. That's an after the credits, see, Nate. That's an after the credits. Yep, that that's yep yep. You really kind of do want to see like they're gonna have a bit of a rough time for a bit, I think. But I'm hoping they'll be okay because they were a sweet couple. They were, yeah. I think I I think it was hopefully just a thing that happened. And that yeah. they were, we're like the real people. I really hope they get back together yeah. and work this yes, out. Yes, I really do too. My my worry was that the cops are gonna find out. Okay, oh thank goodness, um, she's okay. But you assaulted the police officer. You stole a car. We've we've got about five That's things right. we have to he take you in for. He did a lot of things. He did a lot of things. He's edgy, this David Hartman character. Yeah, the the good thing is they did the freeze frame and the credits rolled, so we don't have to worry about it. And luckily, the you'll never see me again TV series never happened yeah the pilot this was a pilot. The pilot where she where she vanishes before the opening credits in every episode and he has to find her we went to hawaii we had an argument 
She said, you'll never see me again. I don't know where she there's is. Some, that would be fun. So what I thought was originally going to happen was that there's a couple of movies like this that came out um, in the TV movie world. Ooh, there's one that I'm thinking of in particular called Honeymoon with a Stranger. Wow, I totally drew a blank. Honeymoon with a Stranger. Yeah, with yeah. Janet yeah. Lee. And yes, yeah. she goes, she gets married and her they're in Spain and they're at his villa in Spain or whatever and he goes to get like coffee or something and another guy comes and he's like I'm home honey and she's like you're not my husband you're not yeah and so when they said we found her in the hospital I was oh, I yeah. thought for sure that that woman was going to be another woman swearing that she was David Hartman's wife and that there was something else happening that scene actually breaks my heart yeah because when, she's when so he sees her you know me he has you know me. Please say you know me. And and he he's he's already completely emotionally busted by it that he has nothing to give this poor woman who is who is who doesn't know who she is who's yeah. completely lost. And it's like oh boy, the trail of sadness that David Hartman <laughs> leaves behind him. That was the other title of this movie: the trail of sadness that David Hartman leaves behind him. <laughs> That's the. Uh, they used to apologize for that at the end of every episode of Good Morning America. Yeah, Aww. we we apologize for every. Any but, but I actually thought she was going to claim to be his wife, and we were going to find. There's, I think, one of my wives is missing. Has the same basic premise oh, as that yeah, too. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I thought that for a second, but then I, I do like the way they did oh, it. Oh yeah. Where it's please help me, please help me. You know who am I? Who am I? And he just he I he can't say he does. I don't think he says a word, does he? No, he just, just kind of backs off. Like what can yeah, I do? He kind of stares at her and backs off like yeah it's like i got too much i got a missing wife i can't are you wanna do you want to be miss bliss that would have been funny because he could have taken her in and then um at um miss uh, at vicky's mom's house there's a fake mom and at the bliss's house there's a fake wife oh my god and that could have and and then one of them could have lost their house they all moved in together and it's a sitcom this sounds like if i carol reiner could have created during the tv movie game we play (laughs) That does, yep. Yep, so save, that's what I just did. Save that <laughs> idea for the next game. I will. Because it's good. Will. So, again, this is called You'll Never See Me Again. It originally aired on February 28, 1973 on ABC. It is based on a short story, as Dan noted, by Cornell Woolrich, who wrote the short story that Rear Window is based on. Um, and that's an incredible short story. Uh, it was uh, written by William Wood and G- Gerald DePego. I hope I said that right. So Wood is somebody we've covered before. He wrote uh, Death Car on the Freeway, which is a great TV movie. He also wrote Savages, yeah. which is wonderful, with Andy Griffith, and a movie called City Killer, which is bonkers, with uh, Heather Locklear, <laughs> Gerald McCraney, and I can't remember the other guy's name, and I'm gonna, if I say it, I'm going to have the wrong actor. Um, it's a guy from St. Elsewhere, and he's the mad bomber, and he's bombing people to get Heather Locklear's attention, as you do. Denzel Washington? No, no, no. His name's Terrence Knox. Oh, okay. Okay. I get wanting to say Terrence Stamp, but I'm like, I know it's not Terrence Stamp. <laughs> Don't say Terrence Stamp. It's Terrence Knox, I think, is the actor's name. Um, and he's great in it. Uh, but DePego is a name that I'm just now coming becoming familiar with, but he's written a lot of really cool TV movies. Um, and you would recognize his name from things like The Astronaut, also starring Monte Marcone, uh, which is, for me, a pivotal made-for-TV movie. Maybe we'll cover it one day. Um, there's The Stranger Who Looks Like Me with Meredith Baxter, which is a really great drama about adoption, and Born Innocent, which we've covered on here, which is oh. probably like the most notorious TV movie ever made. Um, and then he did two Incredible Hulk movies, Trial of the Incredible Hulk and Death of the Incredible Hulk. 
Nice. This is a Wednesday movie of the week. Uh, it ran against on NBC Madigan and the Park Avenue Beat. And on CBS wow. was the Sunny and Share Hour and Medical Center. Nice. That's a groovy night of TV, if you ask me. Yeah. So wow. it did really well in the ratings. It came in at number 18 for the 1972-73 season with a 23.7 slash 36, which means 36% of households with televisions who were watching TV on the night this originally aired were watching You'll Never See Me Again. So that's a lot of people. That's almost 40% of an audience. Um, so this was actually already adapted for TV in England in 1959, but it was directed by Ted Post, who you may know directed The Baby, um, yes, yeah, yes. and it starred Ben Gazzara, and it was an entry in Armchair Theater. Oh, yeah, wow. I haven't seen this, but I don't know if it's available, but I would like to watch it. Um, and the only other piece of background I really have is I couldn't find anything on this movie, like nothing. But Kevin <laughs> Thomas of the LA Times wrote a review. He did not like this one as much as he liked Night of Terror. He said, all told, mm-hmm. You'll Never See Me Again is one of those films that isn't really so bad just not very good. I don't know. I think it's a it's a fun it's a fun sharp thriller that doesn't outstay its welcome. It, I it's think. It's so. interesting because I think you guys like this one better uh, than the other movie. I mean, I don't think you hated the other I, movie, but no, I th- I think um I think I just had more to say about this movie for maybe for it's just some the story I don't know why. because there's more twists I, and stuff in this. It, it it does this one propels I mean the the to me the joy of night of night of terror or I was going to say night of horror to me the joy of night of horror is that it's a civil war ghost movie and nothing happens for seventy minutes but no to me the joy of night of terror is that um it has that twist in it where suddenly it's like the movie seems to be moving forward and then it just stops yeah. and it goes in a completely different direction and I love that but once I've said that I love that I don't know that I have much more to say after that whereas the more i thought about um you'll never see me again um the more i i i, I like the con- the construction is different in the two movies yeah. i think one one is we hid her when will they find her the other is where is she hidden Ooh, how will we find so her so good and that's sort of and that's sort of yeah that's sort of you know that's sort of what happens you know? yeah and and this is a great introduction to uh, I think Zeno Schwark. Zeno, I hate Schwark. I hate that I'm mispronouncing his name. Zeno Schwark, um, because this was very early in his career. He was quite young when he did these, probably in his early 30s, and I think that they show what a what a really good director he is. Because I guarantee you that even though we have no production history and you'll never see him again, it was another 10 day shoot kind of situation where. They really put together a good film, and it sounds like he really prepares before he actually makes yeah, the film. And yeah. so, so we got a little inside look on him, which I'm really glad because he's he's one of the last remaining directors, you know, in, in an era when these people were so important. And I know they get called journeymen, and sometimes journeymen is considered a negative, but for people like this director and so many others that made TV, they were just really good at what they did. I mean, this guy went on to make Jaws too. And then somewhere yes. in time. I mean, those are two. You can't pick two yeah. movies more different from each other, you know. Yes, and it's just sure. a testament to his talent. So I was really happy to cover both mm-hmm. of these, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed them both. Yeah. Um, I will say I don't know what I'm going to be sh- recommending we watch the next episode, but I'll have something, and I'll put it on the airwaves when cool. I've decided and everything. But um, we did get a piece of feedback, which I'm going to read to you, and then we will close out the show. So this is Excellent. our friend Stan, who uh, hey, Stan. Stan Peel. 
who's a really great guy, and he actually listens to my Trapcast and sends feedback to that, too, and I really appreciate it. So he wrote, so glad you're doing another episode of Mayhem. I've missed hearing you, though I'm catching up on some old Eventually Super Train and Masquerade just started. You and Dan are hilarious as always. And thanks so much for featuring these two movies. I'd never heard of, of them, and I love them both, especially You'll Never See Me Again. There was something haunting and creepy about it. For a while, it seemed like The Vanishing. Here we go. So Nate said that. Then I thought the wife had an elaborate gaslight going on as revenge, which I would have loved. I found David Hartman, David Hartman, a little toxic. And I'm surprised you didn't throw out the David Hartman, David Hartman joke, Dan. I should have. Damn You're... it. That's why, that's why we got Stan standing by. Thank you, Stan. Yeah, I kind of need that. So and they said, even at the very end, I thought the cops might shoot him before he reached his wife. There, another Dan pointed that out. Oh, well, maybe once it's all over, she'll wise up and run away with his pal, Bob. Bob was the sexy hot guy, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, I loved Anna Mills in Night of Terror. She has a great wide-eyed stare that they put to good use. I appreciated how real and minimal the car accident was. We're used to movies having people walk away from worse accidents. But with those early 70s cars, it didn't take much to mess you up. Thanks for all. Nader. I do have to take issue with one problem with the plot. Oh, I think he hits on something we talked about. Or the complete incompetence of the police. The guy killed outside the apartment has a child inside the apartment getting an art lesson and nobody put that together. Okay. They specifically oh, yeah, wondered okay. why he would be heading for her apartment and nobody questioned the kids. Luckily, the collage the kid made out of old tickets was so beautiful, the cop brought it to his house. Maybe I missed something. In any case, it's a small complaint. I love the final showdown between Donna Mills and Chuck Connors. Floor-level fury. Take care, Stan. So thank you so much for this. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. He has a good way of synopsizing everything we took us an hour to say. Yes. (laughs) Whatever. And I've got, I I actually have um, You'll Never See Me Again playing right now. And right before he tears the hole in the wall there's kind of a, a scene that almost reminds me a little bit of s- stuff from hum- the movie Humongous where they spend like a half an hour walking through the yeah. house like finding dolls and in cobwebby rooms with um, you know cradles and weird stuff and there's there's like a four or five minute sequence where David Hartman sneaks into the, the mom's house and he's creeping through the house and you just get these close-up shots of his sweaty face as he's picking up these dolls and things like that. And it's really, um, it's a little, I don't, I don't, disturbing isn't the word, but um, I'm sure they never showed this scene on Good Morning America, <laughs> I guess is the best way to describe it. We can it. hope. And so um, let's just talk about what, we have going on in our lives in terms of work so i the only things that i have that i think are have been announced that i can mention here is i did the liner notes for a slasher from 1982 called deadly games uh yeah i just got my copy today by the way and it's beautiful the artwork on it is so beautiful um and i also did a commentary with justin kurzweil from the story continues nate's partner for um, a movie called Lipstick, which is coming out here in February, mm. which is a really interesting rape-revenge movie directed by a guy who primarily did TV movies. And it it's a very interesting film, and also it stars Margot Hemingway, uh, who I was thrilled to cheerlead because I love her. And just a little piece of trivia, um, I, I made a trip to her house where she died with a friend of mine, and we stood outside it and we cried. 
Um, we, yeah. we are Margot Hemingway fans. And so this is a really good movie. I know the critics didn't really care for it when it came out, but it's it's really worthy of some praise, which I hope Justin and I did. So that's coming out through Shout Factory, and Deadly Games is coming out through Arrow. And Nate, do you have any commentaries that you guys have done that you can talk about? We're on that Deadly Games disc. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot. Nice. So um, I don't know that we have anything else. I mean, we have some lined up, but of course I can't talk yeah. about them. But then you guys did nothing underneath, right? Yes, we did. Okay, because I got that, and um, I watched, I rewatched Too Beautiful to Die, which Rachel Nisbet does the commentary for that. Um, oh, and yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to both. That's one of my all-time favorite movies, so I'm, I can't wait to listen to your guys' commentary. I know Justin's done a lot of research on it. Oh yeah. Yeah, it should be good. Um, Dan, what do you have going on? Yeah, the the most recent things. Yeah, with the well, the Night Terrors commentary and the uh, the Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge uh, liner notes. That's right. I wrote the notes, and you wrote some of the liner notes. I wrote some of the liner notes. They're some of the most fun liner notes you'll ever. That was read. that was a really fun project. That's a great movie. <laughs> it was fun to do. I hadn't seen that since like 1991 or 92, so it was it was fun to revisit it and write the notes. And they turned out pretty good when I read them because we did not. Well, I did mine very quickly. I think you may have done also, um, and uh, so I'm glad they they turned out okay when I read them. And my uh, my fourth book is out from Beverly Hills to Hooterville, exploring the Henningverse, 1962 to 1971. It came out in like September of of, of last year, uh, 2021. And uh, you can go, go on an Amazon and get it. It's out through a small press called a small publisher called Throckmorton Press, and it is um, it is available on Amazon. You can get it uh, uh, pr- pr- order to print to order. No, you can you order it and they print it and they send it to you, or you can get the Kindle hmm. version. And so far, so far, folks have. Um, so far, folks seem to enjoy it. I don't have a lot of reviews up for it yet on Amazon, but the reviews I have up there are nice, and the people who have um, written to me about it seem to have enjoyed it. And, I mean, it's 763 pages. It's 666 reviews, so it's pretty hefty. So, uh, so yeah, give, give it a try if you can. Like I said, I'm hopefully starting work on my next book soon, very soon. <laughs> Um, and let us, uh, let me tell you where, uh, you can reach us. I don't know why I'm stumbling over my words now, but, um, <laughs> you'll find us on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem show. You'll find us on Twitter at TV Mayhem podcast. You'll find us on Instagram at Made for TV Mayhem. And you can contact us on Gmail at TV Mayhem podcast at gmail.com. So thanks everybody. We're really hoping that we can make this a little more consistent. And I just appreciate everybody who comes around to listen and, uh, Thank yeah, you. thank you so much and bye.